1: Good morning to you, PJ, away today, back tomorrow, lovely to be with you again on uh, this Wednesday morning, 10th of January, the day after the day that all New Year's resolutions fall apart, by the way, so um, if you gave up and just said I'd be damned do, we're doing that for the rest of the year yesterday, uh, you're not alone because apparently uh, 70% of people who make New Year's resolutions drop them on the 9th of January, so uh, welcome to the club, 083 that's our text or whatsapp number and uh, if you would like to give us a shout, give us a shout, please. If you'd like to get involved in any of the topics we're discussing this morning, beautiful morning, bitterly cold, not as cold as uh, Monday or Tuesday, um, and I don't think we've had too many accidents this morning. Hopefully, um, speaking on your behalf when I say that, so please be very careful if you're out and about. Not a lot of ice, but some frost in that, so best be careful. Well, um, as you may have heard. Sinead O'Connor, uh, the post-mortem results have come back and she died of natural causes, according uh, to a former partner of hers, uh, proving she did pass away as a result of a broken heart, something we've been talking about this morning. Uh, she was found dead in her London flat last July. She was 56 years young. 18 months after her beloved son Shane took his own life. And Southwark coroner's court yesterday said no public inquest would take place as an autopsy found that she died of natural causes. And a spokesman added that the coroner has therefore ceased uh, the involvement on their part in her death. And her former partner, Dermot Hayes, who dated the singer for two years uh told the Irish Sun today, from this you can surmise that a broken heart is a real illness symptom and a cause of death. And it reminded me of a book written many, many, many years back by an Irish psychiatrist called John Lynch. Um, and he set out to research the basis for the belief that people who love people can die of a broken heart in their Uh, in the aftermath of their passing and so many stories I've heard over the last few weeks certainly since Christmas it's been a very very sad time for so many people Uh, I heard of one particular couple who would have been celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary he died about three weeks before Christmas and she passed away just the day before Christmas Eve Um, no apparent illness as such But became very, very ill with a bad chest infection, antibiotics, nothing worked, and sadly passed away. A couple of friends of mine from further up the country were telling me this. Heartbreaking. But in many ways, it's a kind of. There's something so beautiful about it to think that they're together again Uh, in the absence of being together all of that time. That the short amount of time that she spent without him was resolved and she passed away quite peacefully and that the two of them are together again. And we've been hearing a lot of stories and we'd love to hear yours. Can you relate to that? Can you, do, do you know maybe your parents, perhaps maybe friends of yours, neighbors, uh, old relations, whatever. Particularly, I think it relates to an older generation um i suppose couples who have been traditionally together all of their lives childhood sweethearts got married early and young and uh stuck it out braved the difficult times and remained together only to find that once one of them had passed away the other passed away quite soon afterwards it, while it's tragically sad i think there's a there's an element in it that is just it's 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 a love story, isn't it? It's pretty much what love stories are all based on. So uh, let us know if you've a, a personal story about that. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six is our number. If you want to get involved, pass a comment, tell us what you think, or tell us what's going on in your life today. Now, the Pope's recent views on surrogacy have attracted a lot of criticism in the last forty eight hours for displaying a lack of compassion. And joining me now is Karen Dempsey, a celebrant for LGBT plus community. She says the community feels rejected by the church and she believes the Pope's comments are opening new wounds for those who've already been hurt. Karen, good morning.
2: Good morning, Gareth.
1: Um, How do you feel? How did you react initially when you heard his comments?
2: Genuinely, when I read those comments initially from Pope Francis, I was really surprised because very often for all the statements that he makes and the controversy around his words, they generally come from a place of compassion or they seem to come from a place where compassion is intended. And I was really shocked at the absolute lack of compassion in the words that he used around surrogacy on Monday. Um, I think this is a, a, a very deep human drive to parent that we're talking about here people who are in surrogacy arrangements, whether they are the surrogate, mo- surrogate mother or whether they are the couple or the person who is engaging a surrogate mother, um, there is a drive there that is very genuine and heartfelt. And yes, there are cases sometimes. I know we all need to prevent against exploitation. Absolutely, nobody is, dis- is um, dismissing that. But mm-hmm. I think Pope Francis missed what is ac- what's actually happening here, what is actually going on for people where, there is, um, where surrogacy is on the cards at all.
1: Well, tell tell me a little bit about your experience in relation to surrogacy, and I, I know that your background is originally in nursing. Um, in yeah. relation to surrogacy, it's 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 almost a form of tragedy that turns into the fan, the most fantastic news that you can possibly get that you are at at last about to become parents of a beautiful baby. So what's yeah. what's what's with all what's with the controversy? First of all, can you just remind us about what he said? He described it as a despicable practice, didn't he?
2: Yes, he used the words despicable and deplorable, and he put it on a par. He put surrogacy on a par with um, wars, terrorism, and other threats to peace. Gosh, I mean, yeah. I can't see how parenthood or any child being born into the world, how the Pope could say that any child being born into the world is on a par with wars terrorism or the threats of peace because of how that child was conceived and carried. Uh, to me he's lost sight of the fact that we are talking about babies and children and families here.
1: Mm. now was was he also talking about the you know the whole financial arrangement that sometimes comes with a lot of these contracts.
2: yeah he may have been but He let himself down if that's what he was going for, because, Gareth, he could have made a statement where he said surrogacy is a practice that the Catholic Church does not agree with in a moral from a moral perspective. We would like to address the issues that lead women into situations where they are in where they're in a situation where they need financial support or, you know, couples find themselves in a situation where they cannot have a child. And this is what this is the option they seem is available to them.
1: Right, yeah. That
2: to me would show the compassionate stance and a different view. He went straight to putting this on a par with wars and terrorism. And I, I really think it's important to make the point that when we think of the Mary Jesus story, mm. the birth of Jesus, that's as, that is on a par with a surrogacy story. Um, you know, if you actually think of it that the, the entire Catholic faith is grounded of us from a story of a fertility process where Joseph was not Jesus' father. Um, all of that biblical story. And I know you can go, you can go into that and you can slice and dice it from different angles and we can get right into the clinical side. Who who owned the egg that Jesus was born from? But, and I don't mean to make it a facetious thing, but I do think it's really important for Pope Francis to actually think about what he's saying. If we are all supposed to believe, if all Catholics are, are to believe that Jesus was born of virgin birth and out of the same mouth, the Pope will also say that he wants a global ban on surrogacy because of the Catholic morality and beliefs, it's a difficult one to kind of co- process and
1: comprehend yeah, where we're going with that. I I I completely agree with you and it's something I was coming in this morning and it that 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 was floating through my mind the whole Mary and Joseph and Mary and Jesus yeah. story and you know the angel and and the immaculate conception and there is a yeah. huge similarity in many respects. With, of course, I, I suppose, like let's 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 say we have to have respect for the beliefs of people who do <laughs> think, believe yeah. in the immaculate conception. But I, I agree with you; it's it's on a par with surrogacy in its broadest sense, isn't it?
2: Mm, yeah, it is, and. I think it's unfortunate as well that we move so far away from that, that core of that nativity story, which is about a family who couldn't find shelter and were in dire circumstances and received shelter and care. And what came of that if we could all, regardless of anybody's faith path, if we could all stay a bit closer to the core of that, I think the world would be a better place. And if we could focus on, on supporting babies and families and children however we can, regardless of their circumstances, if they are in need, that we support that need and we go from there so that we seek to always make sure that all children are safe and cared for and loved. If that's our baseline, I think we're off to a much better start than calling on, for a global ban. Mm -hmm. on one form of a fertility practice and also i think the arrogance of calling for a global ban on on anything because the catholic faith doesn't incorporate it is unfortunate because to me that just seems arrogant of course pope francis can disagree and of course he can call for his followers to say we don't do this within our faith path of course he can do that but calling for a global ban i i just think doesn't paint his perspective in a great light um and it's
1: very unfortunate, I thought. Yes, absolutely. And I don't, I don't think there's anyone who would disagree with that. And, and it, it also strikes me as being not a million miles from mother and baby homes back in the 70s, the 60s and 80s where individuals could walk into those homes and they could almost fashion, design an adopted child that they would pay a substantial amount of money, a donation, as they would say, um, and walk out the door with that baby.
2: And to use the word trafficking in this Mm. circumstance, when use the word trafficking as a blanket term for all families engaged in surrogacy coming from the head of an organisation that has been proven to have been one of the the biggest historical traffickers of children. I mean, and and that's a hurtful thing to say. And I I don't like saying that, but I do think the Pope needs to be really careful about what he's saying and how he's saying it and how it's received by the people who we are all real people in the world listening to his words and responding to them. And I think he has to expect a response like this when he uses really strong, hurtful language like despicable and deplorable about um, surrogacy and putting it on a power with wars, terrorism and other threats to peace I mean to say anything is a threat to peace is a huge statement and we have real threats to peace happening in the world at the moment we have children suffering incredibly at the moment and to say that surrogacy is anywhere near that is just incredibly hurtful. I know I keep using those words but I just I can't really get past that piece
1: Do do people today see relevance in the words of the Pope? Is what he says Um, is is it as important as it was many, many years back?
2: Well, I think there is a responsibility here. I I hear what you're saying. It it maybe isn't as important to as many people. It is important to some people, and everybody is important as far as I'm concerned. So if it's important to some people, well, then it's important to us all. I think there's a degree of PR spin sometimes comes from the Pope's statements. But I think what's really important is the Pope's words like this activate these far-right fundamentalist groups And this just furthers things like homophobia. I mean, the the groups of parents who are largely represented in surrogacy groups are very often LGBTQ plus couples. When the Pope makes a statement like this, really demonizing a practice that is actually a beautiful practice, um, When he really does that, it it, it heightens the homophobia that happens in the world. It heightens the sense of division. It others couples in various different ways. And what I think would be a much more compassionate thing would be for the Pope to lean on, always on the side of creating more unity, of lessening the division, creating more unity, of making, seeking to make all families on a par with one another. But the Pope doesn't want to do that. I mean, even he made a recent statement about blessing some LGBTQ plus couples in some circumstances. Mm. And that was very well received. But to me, I, I still heard the word some is very important in that situation. Why not all LGBTQ plus couples? Because he will bless all, all heterosexual couples. You know Why this hierarchy of people? Different people are able to receive different blessings and different people are to be seen through a different lens. I think we have to get back to humanity and having a much more humani- humanitarian outlook on the world that we are all equal. All people are deserving of compassion and care. All of us. Do you th- do you th- I, I would you think love to hear that from the Pope.
1: Do you, do you think he needs to clarify to go back on, on what he said the other day and, and say it differently?
2: Honestly, Gareth, I, I don't really think... I, I think, coming back to what you said about how relevant is it, I would rather he was honest. I would rather he continue making these statements like this because otherwise you're just polishing it all up and trying to gloss over something that, mm. is, not, that is untrue. So I think I actually value his honesty here. If he really... Believes that this is a despicable and deplorable practice, and he can say that about children, babies being born. I think, okay, you might as well tell us. So keep telling us the truth, Pope Francis. Please, yeah. <laughs> keep telling us that you don't see. Keep telling us that you that that he, as head of the Catholic Church, sees uh, LGBTQ people. And I'm going to use an inverted commas. They call they said the whole inverted commas the homosexual lifestyle is intrinsically disordered. That is the official Catholic Church line on LGBTQ plus people and couples and their love that they share and the families that they raise together. And I I, I really want to stop glossing over that because mm. that is there in the background of any other statements that come out. Until he changes that, it's very difficult really to come forward and see anything as progression. And I think it's a pity they can't see that
1: themselves. Well, how must that make homosexual priests feel? <clears throat> particularly oh, particularly priests Isolation, who, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um. Uh, and and people of faith, you know, there are people of faith who are gay couples who have very strong a very strong faith, but they are deeply hurt because they know that they're not welcome within their own church because they cannot be married in their church because their love is not seen as equal and their relationship is not seen as equal, and that's really painful because these are people who have a strong belief in the same God in in their God and in their faith path in their Catholic faith that they were raised with by grand, grandparents and great grandparents. And they have that isolation in that they know that their relationship isn't seen in the same way because of Pope Francis's stance on it and the Catholic Church and the Vatican's stance.
1: Comment from John. uh, The Church also sees IVF as immoral. So essentially he wants couples who cannot conceive naturally to remain childless. Uh, John says, I do not agree with his comments regarding surrogacy.
2: Yeah, I've been to Loch Derg, actually, Gareth. And Mm -hmm. when I was in, I did the three day fasting and praying in Loch Derg. And when I was there, I met a couple who had miscarried eight times. And um and each time they miscarried, they came as a couple to Luckdurg. and they, I mean I, I had long conversations with them. They were a beautiful pair. the pain you know the, the pain that they were going through and enduring because the Catholic Church is also founded on the family and having children and bearing children. so when people of faith cannot have their own family, it is a really painful um, uh, juxtaposition to put, to be put in um, the, the conflict between this is what I should be doing as a person of faith and I can't do it and I can't, I can't have any intervention either because it doesn't align with the faith. There's just, it, there's a lot of cul-de-sacs that people find themselves in and the human drive to parent is so incredibly strong. It's such a primal thing that it really puts people in a difficult situation.
1: I don't know whether you saw The Two Popes, the movie, did you? Um, Jonathan Pryce and I Anthony Hopkins. I didn't, actually. Yeah, it's, it's worth looking I didn't. at. To, because <laughs> a, a, a lot of the conversation between the two popes uh, is based on conversations from, from real life. Um, and, and it, there's, there's this particularly long conversation they have while they're sitting in the small sacristy, uh, the, I think it's called the Chapel of Tears, which is next door to the Sistine Chapel. And Jonathan Price, who plays Pope Francis, says to Pope Benedict, he says, every community is called to be an instrument for the liberation and promotion of the poor. Now, many, it, it, mm-hmm. the, you know, for, 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 couples who so badly want to have a child that is a sense mm-hmm. of poverty that that, that, that yeah. they're being denied not through um not through their own efforts but just they're being denied this uh, i suppose haven't you to go down um and and Ooh. consequently they can be described as poorer so his comments don't make any sense
2: Uh, That quote that you just said there is such a beautiful line. And if only it were true, Mm. (laughs) if only the Catholic Church would actually commit itself to that and come back to the humility of that statement, the world would change immediately because of all of the resources that the church has. If they were genuinely committed to that without the corruption of power and money that has undermined so much of their work And, and the children are the ones who suffer when the church slipped down that road into power and money and corruption um, it was the children who paid the price and it was women who paid the price as well through childbirth yeah. um, and I think as well I really I, I, it gets my back up when the Pope is so involved in the circumstances of the conception of any child um, because there's a kind of glorification of the heterosexual contraception of a child or um, sorry conception of a child But I mean, that happens in all sorts of different ways. We know human nature is as it is. We know that children are conceived in all, you know, all kinds of circumstances. So it's crazy to kind of glorify or romanticise the conception of children just because it happens between a man and a woman. Because there's such a vast um, array of potential circumstances for that to happen in. In surrogacy, it's much more controlled, obviously, because it is literally controlled in in a clinical and a medical way. And I think it's much better for us to regulate, not really yet, yeah, to regulate or to 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 keep an eye on what's happening with that and keep everything, everybody safe. As long as everybody, all parties involved, are kept safe and protected and cared for well, and it's all by consent and. You know in that way, I would think minimizing excluding exploitation from this is the key that's what we should really be looking at and i and I understand the pope's objection to i v f on their you know on on their levels but
1: but is is it really any of his business uh, like in in the sense that <laughs> who does the pope think he is to preach to couples about you know about sex yeah um
2: yeah yeah i mean it's When you bring it back to brass tacks as well, really, the Pope and the Church probably should take their nose out of what's Mm -hmm. happening you know behind well i don't mean behind closed doors but what's happening within a couple's sex life whether they are or or not if they're family planning or they're not um you know how children are conceived really is not the church's business yet yeah, maybe yeah. that's a better way to say it <laughs> <laughs> how children are conceived is, is not really anybody's business bar the couple and the person involved yes. um i think that's yeah, yeah uh, that's, another, that's another
1: the comment from, another comment from donald the immaculate conception is to do with mary being conceived without original sin, it's not the virgin birth. That's tr- actually that's true too. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. But then, then is it is it is it really relevant when when it comes to the, the, you know the business of a couple who are desperate to yeah. have a child?
2: Well, I don't understand it, Gareth. Because wouldn't we be better off if we said, "Isn't this a miracle"? that an egg and sperm meat and a and a, a, a child is born from that. Why do we have to go down this virgin, this virgin, that? You know, mm-hmm. why? What's that about? The demonizing of the sexual actor, the demonizing of hu- the human drive to reproduce or the ch- human draw to one another. Why not actually glorify that and say, isn't that really beautiful? Isn't it Mary and Joseph were a couple? Isn't that beautiful? And from them, they conceived the son of God or whatever way you're going to word it. Um and I don't I don't mean to take away from the, the, the virgin birth and the immaculate conception and all of that are are um are a big part of the Catholic faith path. But I think that there's such incredible beauty in the truth of how children are conceived in all the various different ways. I think that's what we I that's what I do glorify. I just think that's and, and every family, as soon as a pregnancy is confirmed, it's, it, you know, the world changes yes. one way or another. Um, you know, one way. no matter what the outcome is, no matter what choices the, the person or the couple or the family make, um, things change at that moment. And I, I am fascinated by that. I'm absolutely fascinated by birth and death and, mm. and the something more and all that happens in between.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll leave you with another comment from that movie, The Two Popes, uh, Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins. Uh Pope Francis and Pope Benedict, respectively. Uh, Jonathan Price says to Anthony Hopkins, he says, Did Jesus build walls? His face is a face of mercy, and mercy is the dynamite that blows down walls. Um, yeah. it, it, when you reflect on that, and that th- they were words spoken by the man who spoke those words, despicable practice, last week.
2: Uh, and the mercy in those words
3: mm.
2: doesn't match with the utter lack of mercy and compassion in the statement that he made on Monday um, and it's such a shame you know yeah. <laughs> if only that consistency carried through and if only the world could just bring more mercy forward at the moment as well what's happening um, You know, in Palestine, just the lack of mercy at the moment. Um, I think we all need to keep talking about that and keep making stances. And I hope Pope Francis will say more about that
1: and make a a strong stance on it. It's also a pity he didn't use the word despicable in relation to what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah.
2: that's that's where those words belong. And putting, putting surrogacy in that same sentence with wars and terrorism is just incredible. It's an insult.
1: Karen, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye Thanks bye so much That's uh, Karen Dempsey there, celebrating for Entheos who work uh, with LGBT plus communities rejected by the traditional church. Uh, another comment here from Lily. Send the Pope a letter about what happened in Besborough. That was despicable. Now, if you'd like to contact us, if you'd like to comment or you'd like to send in... um Maybe just your own views and whatever we might be talking about between now and twelve oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now this January seen a wave of iconic businesses close right across Cork. Business owners have tried everything to keep going, despite rising costs on all fronts. Um, we've already heard of many restaurants closing, um, including Tung Sing and Patrick Street, and even Cork's iconic Baldy Barber is selling up. Lyndon Foresight is the owner of Dunmanway's Scruffy Pets and he closed his door last Saturday. Good morning to you, Lyndon.
4: Good morning, Gareth. How are you?
1: Um, um, my commiserations, uh, like to have to shut a business that you've been involved in and personally invested in for so long, it must be an awful feeling, is it?
4: Yeah, well, same as the rest of the businesses around Cork, we we, we tried everything as well. Um, but what we, in the end, what happened was I, I just went direct to the customers and asked what's happening. Um, and it wasn't us basically it wasn't the foods, it wasn't the um, service right like that b- basically people have no money um, they're finding it very tough at the moment um, to even put money or, or petrol in their cars to get to work etc what's left over after shopping it's not the time to be investing in animals etc at, at the moment you know um,
1: yeah and it's becoming a very
4: competitive business isn't it it is um we we're a little bit different in in that we're a live animal shop in, in that we sell live animals so we'd have a slight advantage on Amazon's and the likes of that but every time I turn on Facebook or anything, any social media at the moment it's just ad after ad after ad for online 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 and um I think people are missing the point even though online you're going to save a few a few euro but if you leave the local business go there's not much coming out from you know um you're going to be left with just joined wholesalers and a couple of years' of time. That'll be the extent of it.
1: Like, you, you must have mulled over this for quite a while before you oh, closed yes. doors, yeah?
4: Can, yeah, I'll be honest. I could see it coming about nine months ago. Um... The footfall started dwindling a little bit. Um, so what I done on my own because I did, I didn't work Mondays. What I used to do is travel to other towns around West Cork and even Cork City itself. And um, Cork City just amazed me, blew my way the, the amount of shops that have gone. Um, it's it, it's crazy up there what's happening. Mm. Um, and West Cork in general as well has suffered a lot this year because we, we have very little accommodation now um as a stands. So we didn't have the footfall coming down from Cork City, you know, the day trippers, etc. Um, because they wouldn't be going on the weekends away, etc., you know. Um yeah, it's 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 all over Ireland. Um I, I was speaking to my reps uh, or my sales reps as well and they were basically all saying it's just everywhere. Everywhere, completely across Ireland. Um and hopefully people can support a bit more locally, you know, because when you lose the likes of us you're losing people coming in and, and they might have a cup of coffee or they might have, you know, a pancake or something. They might do a little bit of shopping or something like that somewhere else. Um So the less that's in a town to actually pull people in, um, it's going to generate more problems for the businesses in the town that are left.
1: And you, your local residents there in Dunmanway must be very disappointed that you had to close.
4: Yes, we had <laughs> we had a, a fabulous relationship with the kids in town. Um, we have Larry the Parrot um, used to play it up and down the window every day, entertain the kids. He'd love having a dance with him and shouting out to him, certain dogs, etc. Um, that was probably the worst part for me, was taking away the animals, taking away the entertainment from the kids. Um, but unfortunately, it has to be done to save so much money. You can be investing into something, you know. Um, we were never great money earners, if you know what I mean, but we yeah. always held our head above the water. Um, but there comes a point in time where you're basically flogging a dead horse, if you know yeah. what I mean. So um, you, you have to cut your ties, you know.
1: And what has happened to Larry?
4: Larry <laughs> Larry we, we always had resident animals we we have Larry the parrot we have hedgehog um, lizards sugar gliders rabbits chinchillas tarties they've all moved in with my lovely wife <laughs> <laughs> so, is, is she delighted <laughs> it's, it's, she's a great farmer over it <laughs> um, no they settled in well they all settled in nicely um, nowadays a bit hectic here at the moment but we're, we're walking in now <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when the weather warms up a small, well, but we we get one of our sheds up and running and it again. Um, yeah, we we wouldn't sell those on basically because they're with me. A lot of them are with me since the very first time we started. Um, so they're not animals that we'd be selling on at any stage. You know, mm. um, um, we also use them for parties. We we continue with the parties, etc. You know, so.
1: What does yep. w- what does Larry say, Larry the Talking Parrot? D- does
4: he have? That? <laughs> Larry says a lot of good stuff and bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Yeah, uh, it's funny um, when we go to, when we do go to events, we we have to send a text uh, a couple of days before <laughs> and just to pre warn people that Larry can be a little bit um, outspoken. Um, a few a few choice mm. words he has. Or right. and where, do, in where general, does, he, where does he,
1: he get those from?
4: <laughs> um, he, uh, a parrot can of anything up to 50 words Larry Larry has some uh, yeah, extreme ones uh, woohoo is his favourite one or how are you um, <laughs> or hit off and tell my wife to get out he, he's not a fan of my wife at all but, um, <laughs> right. yeah, get out get out um, but he's extremely extremely intelligent, they're highly intelligent they're, hmm. they're as intelligent as a 7 year old child to be honest, 6, 7 year old child yeah. um, and very clever animals altogether, you know. So, and, and <laughs> yeah, we didn't teach him the bad <laughs> words. <laughs> okay. okay, I believe you. Uh, like, does he must
1: know that there's a difference in his daily routine now, does he?
4: Absolutely. Um, uh, parrots, in particular, the other animals were okay moving. Um, the parrot took a bit of moving because it took us about two, three days. Before, you know, we actually had to tell him, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to, you know, say, you're going home, 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 home. He has to learn home. Um, so now he's been at home for a week. Last night was his first night out of his cage because he has to learn this is his new home, how to go back into his cage. Right. Um, but he was very good last night. He watched a bit of football with me last night, so he was very entertaining watching that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he's and, he-
1: hands, so. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and
1: he's a fan of the Bee Gees,
4: is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Bee Gees, the uh, Bee Gees, Neil Diamond, he's into all the older stuff. A little bit of dance music, but it's all the, the older dance music. Uh, yeah, he loves to have a good dance, absolutely. Nirvana has, has come on stream yesterday. Wow. So.
1: <laughs> Progressive rock and parrot.
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, he's good yeah. taste in fairness.
1: Great. And does that coincide with your wife's taste in music?
4: No, 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 no. see, wears those Apple um, muting headphones all day, I'd say, at this stage.
1: <laughs> so, uh, just about the pet events business, is that still running?
4: It is. So, what we were doing, we were always running pet events. We run a lot in the shop. Um... We travel out a huge amount to primary schools predominantly, um, and, and some of the retirement homes as well. Um, it's just the money we were taking from the events was basically just being poured back into the shops where we were actually just in a vicious circle all the time, you know. Um, so now I made the decision basically just to concentrate on the events only for a couple of months and we'll see how that goes. Um, so we concentrate mostly schools. We're bringing in weddings into the situation now as well, um, corporate events, retirement homes, general house parties—not—not—not not, not the kids' house parties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, um, yes, we're going to concentrate on that. And it'll, and by closing the shop, I'll also freeze up a lot of my time so I can be traveling out a lot more, mm. um, without having to close because previously we would have had staff in the shop, but unfortunately, with, with the way things were going, we weren't able to employ anyone to stand in for a day, um, while well, I'd be gone because it wasn't making any sense financially. Um, but yeah, we'll look, we'll concentrate on that. Every bad story is a happy ending, so hopefully we'll, We'll do well um, from this, and if not, we'll have a bit of crack doing it anyway. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: but it's good. It's good to know that you have a great optimism about you, um, and I'm I'm sure. I'm sure. uh, Larry will get you up on those mornings.
4: You don't feel like getting up out of bed. Larry Larry was roaring at me at 7 o'clock this morning to come down to him. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I don't even need to set an alarm anymore.
1: That's, uh, absolutely. Well, L- Lyndon, it's great to talk to you. And uh, best wishes for future events and plans that uh, I've no doubt your head sounds like it's packed full of them anyway. So uh, keep up the spirit and thanks for joining us this morning.
4: Thank you, Ronald Sarah. Thank Thanks you.
1: Thanks a lot. Lyndon Forsyth there, uh the owner of Scruffy's Pets on Manway. Um uh, just looking at some of the uh the businesses that have closed down, a survey carried out by the Restaurant Association of Ireland early last year found that a shocking sixty-seven percent of businesses were worried that they would not make it into twenty twenty four. And in Cork, since New Year's Day, uh we have reported on the closure of um, well it, it is the oldest, biggest Chinese restaurant after 60 years there uh, Tun Sing, and, and I think everybody, everybody of a certain age would be able to say yeah I was there for a meal and thoroughly enjoyed it. But it's good to talk to Lyndon and we'd like to hear from you if you're in a similar predicament uh, or you want to add to the conversation Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. 96 96 PJ back with you tomorrow, Gareth O'Callaghan here with you until 12 o'clock today. Give us a shout if there's anything about that you'd like to have a chat uh, on any of the topics that we're dealing with this morning january is a popular time to take out and renew health insurance with around half a million people renewing their plan this month but look closely because a lot of those plans have gone up the premiums have increased quite substantially dermot good of total health cover says renewing your existing plan could be quite a price shock dermot good morning Good morning, Gareth. Right across the board, it looks as if there are increases, but what what seems to be the case is that the hikes have not been publicly announced by the insurers. Is that right?
5: Yeah, that that is correct. So what happens, Gareth, is that last year we had two increases, two broad increases across all the insurance companies. Um, And those increases now are impacting all the people who are renewing. So most consumers are facing increases now of anything up to maybe 15%, which obviously is quite a shock, particularly at this time of the year. But what has now happened as well is that the insurance companies every month on certain what we call corporate plans they increased those rates but we were quite surprised to see there was about i think 12 plans with VHI and 14 plans with Leah healthcare mm-hmm. that were increased on the first of January now to be fair to the insurance companies because this is not a broad increase affecting every plan they don't publicize it so consumers exactly as you said at the very start consumers need to be very very careful and I know nobody likes doing this but when that renewal notice comes through the letterbox or when you get the email you need to open it and check exactly what your increase is because we've had people say to us we assumed the increase was 3% because that's what we saw in the media but Garrett they use these average figures so my the average might be 3% but the increase on my plan could be 10%. So what I would say to all of your listeners now you know, check exactly what they're being quoted for their premium. Expect a huge increase, regardless of which insurance company they're with or what plan they're on. Mm. But if you shop around, genuinely, you know, there's they like as well as the increases, they're bringing out new plans nearly every month, and they're launching new deals. Like for example, and if your family listeners now, Leia Healthcare have a deal in the market since the first of January, where you pay for the eldest child, but child two, three, and four under eighteen are free. But if you don't phone up and and check out that deal, you could miss it. So our message to all consumers now is you know phone up the insurance company. all you have to do is tell them what your budget is so if you if you've been charged three thousand and you can only afford two and a half thousand or whatever for the family, tell them that, and you simply say, "There's my plan that I have right now. What's the lowest cost equivalence plan that you have across all your plans?" Uh, that gives me close to what I have that fits my budget of two and a half thousand. And, and if every consumer does that, um, they, will get, they will get better deals, Gareth. And if they don't like what the current insurance company tells them, then they simply repeat that process with the other two insurance companies. There's only three insurers. And I suppose maybe a, a word of reassurance to your listeners as well. Anybody who has renewed on the 1st of January. So some people will be thinking, I've already paid my premium. I've told the insurance company I'm not changing. It's too late. It's actually not. You have 14 days of what we call a cooling off period. So all of your listeners who renewed on the 1st of January, they actually have till the end of this week to make any changes or to chop and change or to to, to re-examine their cover again. So there still is time there, but... Unfortunately, people need to brace themselves, Gareth, for huge increases on the health insurance.
1: So, if if you do call them and tweak the the, the policies and whatever within the next few days, th- those changes will take effect. But are you saying that if you don't, what they're billing you for will continue till the end of the year?
5: Exactly, exactly. The biggest mistake that people can make now, and this. This really uh, more so it impacts on older members, older members who, I suppose, are really concerned about keeping good cover in place. They probably have underlying conditions and they're very fearful of making any changes. And they're the people so that most often auto renew. So auto renewing simply means you do nothing. And if you do nothing, all that's going to happen is the insurance company will roll over your existing cover. Um, And by the way, to give an example People on the older plans, like the old VHI Plan B options, Mm. which is Health Plus Extra, or the Level 2 hospital schemes with Irish Life, or the Essential Plus or Flex schemes with Leia Healthcare, like the increases on some of those plans, like for an older retired member, are €400 each, so a retired couple might have to find an extra €800 to stay on the same cover, which for most of them, they just can't afford that, so Exactly. Please don't auto renew. Auto renew means you do nothing. And if if that happens, you're just simply going to be charged the extra premium. And at the very least, art, I would say to your listeners, because when people listen to this piece now, first of all, people are thinking, I don't want to change insurance company. That that's, that's going to cause me stress. But 50% of all people who review their cover, they actually get a better deal with the same insurance company. So you don't necessarily have to switch to another company. But even if you did switch, guard, the legislation, in fairness, they got this right. The legislation fully protects you. So there will be no break in your cover. They, your cover will be continuous. They can't suddenly turn around and say, well, Dermot, we're not going to cover that existing condition or we're, we're going to charge you a higher premium. The law prohibits all of that. So my message to all of your listeners is, look, there's nothing you know to stop you making one phone call to your existing insurance company and simply say, look, I can't afford that premium you're quoting me. Do you have a closer or, or a, an equivalent plan? It mightn't be identical, but it's very similar to what I have. That's lower cost. And the other thing, Gareth, I would say, any young people listening to this piece now, like your parents, your relatives, your older relatives, they're all on these older plans and they're mm-hmm. scared to change and they're missing out on savings of anything from 500 to 1,000 euro per adult, you should do the review either with them or do it for them. There's no issue whatsoever. Because you know you know your parents' requirements, and you're you know a lot of young people now. They're very comfortable engaging with the insurance companies and dealing with the jargon and so on. But like now's the time to to start reviewing cover because those increases that are coming through are, are shocking in many cases.
1: And it's right across the board. So as you say, it's well worth picking up the phone and saying, "Look, um, I I I can't as you say, I can't afford this premium uh, on an ongoing basis. So if you move to another program, uh, Dermot, how different does it become? Say, for example, you save 150 euro a month. Does that deprive you a lot of the important entitlements that you, are, you, you, you could access on the previous plan?
5: Yeah, Garrett, a very good question. In many cases, no. So, for example, people will often ask us, how do I know if I'm potentially overinsured or overpaying? So, if you're spending more than 1,900 per month, if you have not or never reviewed your cover, if you're on the same plan for five years or more, if you have all your family on the same level of cover, in other words, you haven't split your cover, because, for example, mom and dad's requirements might be very different to their five, ten-year-old children, so Mm -hmm. you can put everybody on different plans. You know, if you're not on a corporate plan, now, many of your listeners will think, well, I'm not entitled to join a corporate plan. Absolutely wrong. Every plan on the market is available to every consumer, irrespective of their occupation or their age, or their medical history. So just think of it. These corporate schemes are targeted specifically at the large employers right throughout the country, and they get the best deals. But once again, the legislation is very clear on this. Every plan is available to everybody. So you know, if any of those kind of uh, points that I raised, if any of your listeners are thinking, well, I'm not on a corporate plan, or I don't have a small excess, or I'm not getting money back on my routine expenses, or I'm spending more than €2,000 per adult, like, Garrett, there must be a very clear reason for somebody spending that amount of money. And often there is. But in many cases, the reason is simply, you know, it's inertia. I've let my policy roll over each year. They are reasons for you to review your cover. Now, there are our advisors throughout the country who do all of this for you if, if you want somebody else to do the heavy lifting and pay them a fee or whatever it is. But in many cases, guards, you can do this yourself. And literally, when you phone up the insurance companies, the insurance companies want to keep your business number one. Number two, they have an obligation. They want to make sure that your cover is fit for purpose. So, yes, they might be able to save you money, but they're obliged to explain the differences. And going back to your question, Garth, if I find a plan that is, is similar to what I have and it's cheaper, everybody loves savings. But your next question to the insurance company is, okay, now tell me how does that plan compare to my current plan? What am I losing? What am I gaining and what stays the same? And here's the the interesting thing that people don't realize. Imagine, Gareth, if you phone up the insurance company or I phone up, they have all my claims on the screen in front of them. Mm. So if I do find a plan that I think, you know, ticks all the boxes, all I have to ask them is, look, if I was on that plan and you have all my claims there, would I still have my claims being, being paid to the same extent? And once again, the insurance companies will have to confirm yes or no, but People are shocked sometimes to find that they can actually, believe it or not, save money and actually get better cover. So, Gareth, I mentioned those plans at the start, like the Health Plus Extra with VHI and and the Flex 125 Choice with with Leia Healthcare. And there's the Level 2 hospital schemes with Irish Life. So anybody on that VHI plan, they should check out the Advanced Care 50 day-to-day. It's €800 cheaper per adult. Anybody on that Leia Flex scheme should check out the Momentum scheme. Mm. It's also about seven 800 euro cheaper per adult. And anybody on the Level 2 hospital scheme with Irish Life, they should check out the likes of 4D Health 4, 4D Health 5. They'll probably save about 1,000 euro per adult. So there are options there for everybody. And really, at the very least, I would urge all of your listeners, phone up your existing insurer and just see exactly what's on offer. And if you're not happy to change, at least you've looked but too many people, Garrett, do nothing. They let it roll over, and they're going to get hit with huge increases.
1: With a lot of bills coming in this week and next week from November and December, I presume a, a lot of private health insurance uh, customers are questioning the benefit of continuing to pay for private healthcare. Is is that is that still a situation? Considering like that, this is this is a pretty. It, it's not as. Uh, How can I put it? People want to be thriftful this month and might think, well, I'm pretty good on the health side of things. I probably don't need private health care insurance. What would your advice be?
5: Yeah, and and once again, we definitely are seeing that, particularly from younger members. So what tends to happen in the market when rates start spiraling like this and people are under cost pressures left, right and centre, as we all know, what tends to happen is older members will not cancel their cover because they're obviously using the cover but younger members who are, you know, very cost conscious, they have serious cost pressures, left, right and center, mortgages and so on. A lot of them will ask about, should I cancel? And all I would say to people, look, before you cancel your cover, check out all the options to reduce your costs, first of all. In other words, see if you can keep your cover, but keep it affordable. And, Gareth, there's loads of things people do, can do. They can split their cover. They can take on higher excesses. They can take on plans that have what we call limited hospitals. So they might not cover all the hospitals in the general area. Um, like they might cover the bonds, but not the matter, private and Cork and so on. So mm. there's loads of tactics there to help you, first of all, reduce your costs. Cancellation should be a last resort. And, I, and I'll tell you why. There's two reasons, Garth. Number one, if you cancel your cover, if you then go to rejoin again in the future, and if you have any existing conditions, they will not be covered for five years. Um, And There's no way around that. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, if you cancel your cover and now you're over 35, you may be hit with these age loadings, um, which means you'll have to pay an extra 2% for each year over 30, over 35. Now, I would say to everybody, you know, look, if the public system, I saw a press release yesterday where the waiting lists have, have improved slightly, but only very slightly. I mean, the waiting lists are still huge. But if the public system did improve drastically and people could get into a public hospital without having any lengthy wait times, I would see a lot of people might reconsider the need for private health insurance. But at the moment, Garrett, I have to say, with the waiting lists as they are, um, a lot of people, they will not be canceling their health insurance. In fact, the numbers joining health insurance are still steadily increasing. And I think 50% of all people who join it's not because they want a private okay. room and they want a private consultant. It's because they want access.
1: Okay, Dermot, great to talk to you as always and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Dermot Good there from Total Health Cover. It's Gareth here for PJ, who's back with you tomorrow morning. Good morning to you, Wednesday morning. Uh, in relation to, uh, that, we were talking about the autopsy findings um, following the death of Sinead O'Connor earlier on this morning when we started at nine. And I was talking about uh, the whole idea uh, Uh, of death by a broken heart and... um uh, one of our callers just said, Good morning, Gareth. Read Death Due to a Broken Heart, researched and is now known as psychogenic death. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Uh, the Broken Heart is the name of that book by John Lynch. A couple of you just wondering uh, about it. Fantastic. Irish psychiatrist, many, many years ago, investigating um, the whole idea that, you know, that death can follow very quickly in a relationship if one member of a relationship dies, that um, the other partner in the relationship can also follow and die of a broken heart. So thank you for that text. Also, the Pope's comments on surrogacy over the weekend. Kate says, I think that many of the companies involved in surrogacy have no heart in it and run it as too much of a business. As as regards homosexual couples, I always laugh at church pronouncements on gay marriage because so many priests are closet homosexuals and surely cannot believe the teachings they are reading out. Surrogacy is the business of buying and selling babies. The only one who will suffer is the innocent baby being taken away from its birth mother, who it was with for nine months. This is from Emma. Many born of surrogacy are coming forward with their story of their own abandonment issues. Babies are not a business to be profited from. Adopt, foster, don't buy a baby. That comes from Emma. And Mary says the Pope should be taken out of Rome and arrested for what he said. Our Lady was not a virgin. We were all taught lies. 038. Uh, 3969696, if you'd like to comment on any of the items on the show this morning. Nisha Connolly Ryan, whose husband Mick Ryan died in an avoidable Boeing air crash in 2019, has called on the Irish Aviation Authority to demand a full investigation after a section of the fuselage blew out mid-air on an Alaska Airlines jet shortly after takeoff last Friday. And uh, the story is still making the papers. Today, Boeing is now on the brink of a safety crisis last night as inspectors examine if the bolts were missing when the plane door came off at 16,000 feet. And uh, uh, Nisha's on the line now. Good morning to you, Nisha. Good morning, Gareth. Can you take me back and tell us about Mick's story, that particular incident in 2019?
6: Um, well, Mick was on a flight from Addis Ababa in Ethiopia to Nairobi. Um, it was a safe flight. He was working for the United Nations. There was about 21 other United Nations staff from all different agencies on the same flight. Most of them were heading to a climate conference, I believe in Nairobi, but Mick was on um, he was on a different mission um, and after six minutes, the plane crashed. Um, it was a brand new plane and it, you know, literally only rolled off the uh, the production line. I think it was about five months old. And prior to that, there had been another crash in Indonesia when, again, a brand new plane, the same type of plane, a MAX plane, had crashed into the, the Java Sea, the Java Ocean, and uh, all, all of the, uh, passengers and crew um, they perished um, and again there were similarities between the two crashes and eventually uh, it came out quite soon afterwards that uh, there was this software called MCAS on the um, installed on the planes that nobody knew about including the FAA they would they had never been told about it so uh, the software kicked in when there was a faulty reading from one of the sensors that was saying that the plane was stalling which it wasn't Um, so MCAS kicked in and it started to do a kind of a nose down dive and the the pilots had to struggle to keep the plane up so there was this ongoing battle between the computer on the plane um, and the pilots and eventually the the computer system won and the plane crashed into the ground after six minutes
1: Must have been terrifying Um, and when did you hear Nisha how, how were you told
6: Um, Well, this would have happened very early in the morning uh, um, Irish time, so it was many hours later before news got to me um, and I I found out through a friend.
1: Just to to explain to those who are curious in relation to the make of plane, this was the Boeing 737 Max, which was brand new back then, wasn't it?
6: Uh, Absolutely, yeah, brand new plane.
1: And in the meantime, I know that you and other families uh, have been monitoring incidents with similar Boeing models and um, the the US Service difficulty reports, these are mandated reports which pilots and engineers would fill out either during the flight or, or post-flight. How many airlines have filed more? It, I, am I right in thinking it's over a 1,000 safety reports?
6: Yeah, so basically for the, about the past year, uh we we a group of our families, victims families came together and it all kind of happened in a way kind of naturally. We were, we were all doing our own thing in terms of trying to alert the public to safety and whatever. And we ended up coming together. And uh, within our group, then uh, we have two experts in our group. One is a former FAA person, so the regulatory side of things. And the other person is a, is a whistleblower and former Boeing senior manager and uh between them um they educated us basically in a very short space of time and we we all have our own backgrounds and skills some of us are engineers and lawyers and and that sort of thing so between us we we were we were quite a, an active working group on on all of the these issues And one of the things that we discovered was the service difficulty reports that are filed, as you say, usually post-flight by pilots. And if something happens during the course of the flight, they write, they have to, they're supposed to put in uh, a report on it. And so we decided to zoom in on one particular airline uh, because we noticed there there seemed, when we did a search, there seemed to be an awful lot of these reports on specifically on Maxes. So we we felt that uh you know it it was too broad a thing to kind of say oh well you know it could, it could be anything that they're filing these reports on so we decided to zoom in on one airline which was Alaska Airlines as it happens and what we also discovered was that they they not only had Maxes new Maxes but they also had the new Airbus uh, Neo uh which is a very similar model to the Max um And what we discovered was, uh, and I I suppose this was the roundup from last year when eventually we we decided to come out and report on this, was that over a year, within the same airline with the same type of planes, the the airline had submitted over 1,000 reports. I think it was actually 1,300 reports, so 1,300
5: reports on the max. That's the Boeing
6: and the Boeing Max, um, and on pretty much the same number of um, Airbus airplanes, they'd only submitted twenty-five. Wow. So we thought there was a huge discrepancy between the two. So we have ongoing meetings with the FAA, um, and and we questioned why, you know, where where do these SDRs play uh, in terms of a trend of what's happening? Because something's very wrong here, and we could also see that these weren't your standard kind of oh it's a broken tray or something. These were these these were in flight malfunctions that were happening. It was either the computer system, there was lights coming on, warning lights, uh pressurization in um uh problems in the flight, um trim stabilizers, which are the it's like the little tail at the back that keeps everything steady, which is what actually kicked in kick that MCAS has mm-hmm. control over. Um, and these were all major, major issues. Sometimes there were pan-pan um, alerts, which is just one step below emergency. And other times there was actually an emergency landing.
1: Which is May- so, Mayday, 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 yeah.
6: Which, which yeah. is Mayday, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: And <clears throat> these were all being recorded in these reports. So uh, we've, we've been trying to push the FAA to, because the FAA kind of pushes it back to the airline and says, well, you know, uh, once you file the report and then you say, oh, that's all resolved now, back up in, in the sky. They kind of say there's nothing to see here, but there is something to see here. There's a trend, there's a pattern Well, and very, there's something clear.
1: Very much so. And can I just say, like, unless you're, you know, unless like yourself, you're part of, of an ongoing investigation or on the other hand, you're an, an airplane enthusiast. Uh, an airplane is an airplane and it takes you to the Canary Islands or wherever. But it's. I think it's important here to explain that there's a very big difference because we're dealing with two production companies here. One is uh, Boeing and the other is Airbus, two completely different businesses. And just to put that into perspective, what you were saying there, with the Boeing Max, uh, the Alaska Airlines, they began flying the Max planes three years ago. Uh, There were over 1,300 safety reports on an array of aircraft system malfunctions. And as you say, in contrast... The airline also flies ten Airbus A three twenty ones. There were only twenty five reports on the Airbus planes. That's correct. So that's that. Therein lies a major question mark.
6: Yes, yes, and this isn't just we're just we're not just talking Max nines here. We're talking all the Max planes that are that are in flight. So, and the thing is, there is only these databases are, um, it, you know, this only applies to America. So we don't know what's. Happening in the rest of the world, even though there's over a thousand max planes flying all over the world, so we have no idea what the what is going on in in Ireland, in Europe, nowhere. We do know what's happening in in the US, and something is is clearly wrong.
1: Yeah. So, and why why is this data being ignored? Effectively, it could prevent fatal or near fatal incidents.
6: Well, that's the question, and that's one of the questions we want answered. Why is it being ignored? And we've continuously tried to uh, highlight it. We've been trying to highlight it in the media and we've been trying to highlight it with the FAA. We've never gotten an answer. Um, You know, so your guess is as good as mine.
1: Just in relation to the Alaska Airlines crash, uh, the emergency exit from the Alaska Airlines passenger jet, it was found on Sunday afternoon near Portland in Oregon in a school teacher's back garden after it blew out. Now, Boeing share prices fell yesterday, and there's now speculation about the longer-term effect on the air industry. I'm sure this is going to raise concerns in, in passengers' minds when it comes to booking flights. They're going to want to know, what sort of a plane am I flying on?
6: absolutely and and if anything I, I would I would say you know you find out because i have i have not since the two thousand and nineteen crash I have not only never flown a max, but i don't fly a Boeing because of what I know because of what I know, what can happen, what the effect this can have on families, on people, the terror and also what I know is going on you know within or or what we don't know what's going on in that production facility thousands of quality control inspections have been removed by boeing why Mm. post crash why and you know you would imagine after two fatal serious crashes the culture would have changed inside of boeing it clearly hasn't
1: and why why don't you have access to reports in relation to irish incidents presuming there have been some
6: it, 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 it just seems to be a different uh, like we, we've been told that EASA, which is the European um, agency similar to the FAA they all follow the FAA so the FAA is kind of like the gold standard and then every everybody else just follows suit um, so apparently it's just a, under a different law that in Europe they don't make these public whereas in America they do but the thing in America is it's even though it's mandated not all the airlines do it Alaska Airlines are to actually be commended for being so diligent in filing these reports because because they have been. They continuously did and they continuously showed, uh, you know, all the malfunctions, all the problems. Um, you know, there was on this same flight where the the, the the door blew out. Apparently, it came up, I think it was on three different flights, which is why they were actually using it to fly a different course on this particular flight because they were worried about some sort of pressurization issue. So but somehow it, it still got the all clear. You know, but, mm. but Alaska have been um let's say unusual in being so good at filing these reports. But they're not accessible in any other part, any other country as far as we know. <sighs>
1: Just um, since Friday, over 170 Max nine aircrafts, the the Boeing seven three seven, have been grounded. Grounded in the U.S. Now, uh, the, the the boss of Ryanair, the chief executive Michael O'Leary, has said the real challenge for both Airbus and Boeing is they are both running behind on their plans to increase monthly production. A lot of that is supply chain pressure. I think that both Airbus and Boeing, certainly Boeing need to significantly improve quality control. Um, as far as I know, Ryanair currently operates a fleet of over, um, I, th- I think it, they're flying 737 MAX 8 aircrafts. Most of their aircrafts are 737-800s. Um, now, Michael O'Leary believes, well, he basically he has slammed the, the, the manufacturer's recent problems with quality control. Is that where the problem lies, do you think, Nisha? Quality control?
6: Well, first of all, I absolutely agree with what he's saying. The about quality control, this is a production issue in the same way we kept calling for an investigation into production after the two crashes again that was ignored in the US. Um, but I would like to say that I I believe the, you know, this isn't helpful what Ryanair are saying in terms of, you know, they they're constantly putting under pressure for deliveries. They Ryanair actually went out um, before the ungrounding of the plane and they expressed full confidence in these Max planes. And, and they put in a, a delivery even before, I believe, the ungrounding of the planes. They gave the market confidence in these planes and, now, and put pressure on for these deliveries. Now those same people are going out and saying this is a quality control issue. I see it all as part of the same problem here. Mm. You know, this is this is all part of the same problem. This is about a company that has quality control issues, has removed thousands of quality inspections. And then you have um, airlines buying these planes cheap, demanding them to be delivered, you know, in a very short space of time. And then the same people are saying there's quality control issues here. Where does it stop? The passengers are not being, look, you know, safety in passengers is not is not the number one priority here. This is about deliveries, you know, con- con- uh, customers, airlines, uh, you know, th- the passengers are at the lower end of all of this, yet we're the ones getting on these planes.
1: It's all about conveyor belt uh, effectiveness, really. Brianair I, 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 is expected to receive just 50 737 MAX aircraft by June instead of the planned 57 in April. Have, have, has your group been in contact with Michael O'Leary?
6: Uh, no, we haven't. Um, we have been in contact with, we've been sending letters out to airlines and to as many people as we can to say to them that we believe that the MAX is unsafe, but having direct contact with Michael O'Leary, that, no, that, that has not happened.
1: Okay, well, thank you for joining us, Nisha, um, and uh, condolences on, on the, the loss of, of your husband. I know it's some years back, but uh, how are you now?
6: Uh, well, you know, I suppose events like this are, are difficult, you know, I, I feel like nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm back five years ago. So um, yeah, it, it, it's very difficult.
1: Okay, well, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Uh, That's Anisha Connolly-Ryan there. Um, And uh, the number is 0833 96 96 96. Uh, There's a full investigation, obviously, ongoing uh, here. Inspectors are investigating. This is last Friday's crash, uh, the Alaska Airlines uh, MAX 9. And they're investigating whether four bolts supposed to hold the panel or the door plug in place were missing. Alaska Airlines said that, quote, initial reports from our technicians indicate some loose hardware was visible on some aircraft and the CEO, Ben Mitachuchi, said that the MAX 9s would go back into its fleet only after clearing precautionary maintenance procedures, which he expected to be in the next few days. Gareth's here for PJ this morning. Beautiful sunny morning around the city and county. I hope you're well and that you've settled back into the new year. Anita text and she said, how have you not mentioned the documentary on behind the scenes of Pennies that started last night? I missed it to be perfectly honest with you. I fell asleep. Uh, but uh, it's on every Tuesday at 8.30 on RTE1 uh, Irish Sharpers spent over 700 million euro in penny stores just last year great news for Cork by the way an expansion of their Patrick Street store in Cork from 17,000 square feet to 54,000 square feet that's some shop uh, is in the cards this new RTE documentary looks at the Irish brand which has become a real global fashion powerhouse with 70,000 staff in 16 countries Pennies or pre-mark, as it's called outside of Ireland, is always changing. And uh, imagine having that job head of future trends. John McCormack, he's based in Arthur Ryan House in Dublin 1, where he plans out global strategies for the coming seasons. John says, uh, a a lot of it is kind of institution, but it comes from research. I'm doing it so often now that you see trends cycle, uh, cycles coming back around again. I used to say our job was to join the dots, but now our job is to find the dots. Three million people visit a penny store worldwide every day. And in Ireland alone, they have 37 shops in 20 countries. Amazing. Amazing. Don Tidy, who was kidnapped by the provisional IRA back in 1983, Don is um, he's a, he's well, and he's I think he's about eighty six, eighty seven now. And I was reading the kidnapping wonderful, wonderful book over Christmas. I'll give you details on on that incident uh, back in December nineteen eighty three. Don um, was one of the the great minds that spearheaded uh, and and as it were, masterminded pennies among many other shops. He was involved in. Uh, Quinsworth, uh, he was involved in Dunn stores, uh, Ben Dunn and, uh, Frank and Ben Sr., who employed him to expand the brand. And he was also involved in Pennies, uh, H. Williams, Powers, uh, and so many more household names, extraordinary businessmen, and uh, great to see that he's doing so well uh, health-wise and uh, a sturdy individual after that awful, awful event 40 years ago. Now, it's that time of year again. The house is a complete mess after the Christmas season. The winter sun is shining in through filthy windows. The Santa toys are everywhere. Vera Johann from enjoyyourhome.ie has some decluttering advice for stressed out moms and dads and Vera joins me now morning to you Vera
7: hi Gareth how are you thanks uh, so much for having me on uh,
1: lovely to talk to you now I, I presume uh, your house is probably the most beautifully spick and span house in the entire country this week is it
7: <laughs> not quite not <laughs> quite I, right. I'm the same as everyone else picking up the pieces
1: that's good to um,
7: and I need by example I show people that you know Kitchens, Homes become disorganised. But the secret is to try and set it very quickly back into shape again. And you can only do that when you don't have too much stuff around.
1: And it's only when you take down the Christmas decorations, you think you're going to have more space once again. But then it's because that particular space was taken up with a beautiful Christmas tree, baubles and lights for weeks. And now you see... Stuff that's been cluttered in that corner and around various rooms of the house for years. Isn't that the case?
7: That's the case. You do. You see the dust, the dirt, uh, you see the accumulation of stuff that's gathered under the tree, behind the couches. You also see the fallout from all of the gifts that we received. Some of them we didn't need or want, a lot of them unnecessary. But all of these things are taking up a valuable space in our home after Christmas. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, everyone just becomes completely overwhelmed and they don't know where to start with this chaos in their home now if they were in a bad state before Christmas after Christmas they're completely disillusioned as to what to do or where to go with their things
8: so
1: you've, you've refuse sacks full of wrapping paper you've cardboard boxes that you have to get around to breaking up and putting out uh, mm-hmm. where do you start
7: Right. I wrote an article recently for the Evening Echo, and it was all about resetting your home in 2024. And just as you mentioned, recycling there, I do. I start with the bins at the outside, the recycling, the bottles, the cans, empty the food all out of the fridge, all that leftover stuff, empty all the bins. And then you go from there to different categories of your home, your utility room, your kitchen. But break it down into bite-sized pieces. Like, if it's if you're doing it today and you think, look, I've 10 minutes, just do a windowsill. Just clear that windowsill, wash that window, and I guarantee you it'll lift your mood and it'll make you feel a whole lot better and you'll want to actually do more.
1: Uh, and so you move on from that, you'll tackle a couple of bigger jobs. What would you suggest they be?
7: Um, I'd say ask yourself how you're feeling in your home and what's bothering you the most. For some people, it's their wardrobe, it's their bedrooms. Um, They can't get at their clothes. They don't know what they have. For others, it could be cosmetics. For others, it could be the children's sports gear, the toys. So ask yourself what area of your home is bothering you the most and just start with that area. For others, it could be art and hobby. Um, If you're finding it difficult, I'd say reach out for help. Um, Even if you have a tidy buddy or someone that you're going to say, look, I'm going to do my utility today. We'll do it together. Uh, You know, you'll have someone to act with. It'll be like a partner with you. Failing that, reach out and ask for help from a professional organizer. Because what I do when I come into your home is I completely clear the decks and set up systems in your home whereby it's going to function for you. Because people are moving around in their homes and they have things stored in places that aren't conducive to where they need to be at all. Um, and it just makes life so much harder when you're, what's in your kitchen maybe should be in your utility room. What's in your utility room could actually belong in your garden shed and free up the space so that the flow of your home works better for you and your family.
1: Now, after Christmas, obviously, Santa's been very generous with a whole influx of brand new electrical items, whether that's hair dryers or curlers or, uh, you know, Xboxes or whatever. What do you do with the old electrics that either don't work anymore or you just want to get rid of?
7: Um, electrical items can all be recycled for free. They can all be brought to your local community centre and they can all be recycled for free. If they're working, you can sell them on Marketplace. Um, somebody will obviously buy them if they need them. Uh, failing that, I would just recycle them. Getting new electrical items into your home, I would label them and the cord that goes with them. Because in most homes, there's boxes of On cards with no names and no labels. Nobody knows what they're for, but yet everyone's afraid to throw them out just in case they need them someday. So if you do get a new electrical item, label the cards, label the item and just store them effectively.
1: Yeah, good advice because I'm sure a lot of homes have drawers full of chargers
7: they do yeah some of them obsolete and people are just nervous to throw them away because they're like oh we might need that now someday but chances are you won't and it can be replaced easily and all this electrical stuff luckily can be just deposited to your immunity centre yeah now you so grew up on out of the
1: you grew up in a family of 11 didn't you that's 11, right 11 that's siblings. right that yeah. must, there, there must yeah. have been a fair amount of clutter there funny enough there wasn't
7: um, my mother was amazing yeah she was incredible we didn't live in a very big house. There were 11 children there, but we didn't have the same volume of things that people have today. Mm. Like, I remember we used to go to Garryville on holidays to our mobile home, and mom would hand me a small little box that would hold, I mean, it was a box that would hold maybe 24 bags of Tato, and she'd say, put your things in that now for the caravan for two months. And literally, the flip-flops, the shorts, the raincoat. That was it. That went in the box, and that was me for two months. Gone to the caravan. Wow. So we have complicated it for ourselves. Now overcomplicated it. Um, my mother was incredible. She, there was five of us going to Turner's Cross Primary School at one stage, all wearing navy knee socks, all different sizes, really? and each of us had a different colour code stitched onto our sock. Oh, So I might have had yellow, my older sister might have had red, but we all knew our socks in the wash. We all had socks every day for school. What a brilliant um, sister. I don't know how she did it. She was incredible. She was amazing. She could have written the book, The t- Magic of Tidying Up Herself. So um, I do attribute a lot of what I learn and what I know from learning from my own mother.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing. So she was constantly scheming.
7: She was constantly scheming, she was recycling when recycling wasn't even a thing, making things out of uh, just using containers, using milk containers to mix paint in, just things that I watched her do over the years that I now do myself as well.
1: Yeah. Um, just for, for I, I know there's you, you, a lovely quote actually, you said, when I turned 50 my own five kids were reared and I decided now was the time for me to pursue something for me. Uh, I had read Mary Kondo's The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up and I Had a light bulb Moment. What was that like?
7: Um... It was incredible, really, because uh, it it was like a light bulb moment for me because I am a nurse and midwife and i would worked in the medical profession for a number of years. And I I traveled to the Camino and it was only on traveling to the Camino that I discovered that the people that were traveling lighter with just a knapsack on their back were far more present and had what they needed in their bag on a given time and it was really when I came back from that that I thought I'm going to start my own journey here of losing the excess in my life and living with less and just simplifying everything and that's what I did and I went from there and I walked away quietly myself I didn't really involve the family they all thought I'd lost it I had a trailer outside (laughs) the front door I started emptying the attic And what was in the attic were like a car seat belonged to the kids when they were small, a cot, a broken television, just all these unmade decisions of stuff that we didn't know what to do with. So just put it in the attic or put it in the shed, which is what most people would do with things they don't know what to do with. Mm. And as I was emptying everything out of the attic and filling the trailer, just the feeling of lightness that came over me personally and then over the house, I thought this is incredible. There is something in this movement of stagnant energy out of a home. Um, and then bit by bit it really had a positive profound effect on the rest of the family and they all started to come on board wanting to know a little bit more about it and then I discovered Mary Kondo was coming to New York in uh, April 2018 Mm -hmm. and I decided you know what I want to hear more so I took myself off to New York to train with her and I had no intention of starting a business or doing anything like that but when I came home Just the interest was incredible from family, friends and everybody else. And I found myself building up a clientele. And over the following nine months, I uh, worked away as a trainee consultant. And then I certified as Ireland's first consultant in 2019. So since then, I have resigned from my nursing profession. I now work um, all over the country, mainly in Munster, though, helping other people to get organized in their home. And it's been such a huge eye opener to me. Like People are ashamed or they're embarrassed or they think they're the only one that's living like this when, in actual fact, most of the nation is living Mm. under layers of clutter and nervous of a knock on the door or to allow a visitor in to their home.
1: And afraid to open a wardrobe.
7: Yes, yeah. (laughs) But the unfortunate thing is they love buying. They absolutely love buying. And consumerism has made us feel that happiness lies in having things. But really, it has failed to teach us the happiness of not having things. Yeah. Because the more you have, the more occupied you are. And the less you have, the more freedom you have. And I'm testament to that myself in my life.
1: Uh, and you mentioned, you know, being more present, which is very important, isn't it?
7: It is, absolutely. And you can be more present and you can, you know, live in the moment when you're not completely distracted so I often use an example when I'm giving my talk. Say if you come home from work in the evening and you're met at the front door by post and football boats and bags as you come in the door and then you walk into your kitchen and the sink is full and the dishwasher is full and you're trying to put down a bag of shopping. And before you know it, your cortisol levels are so high and you're so stressed, but you don't even know why it is. But that's exactly why. And then you might go to sit on your couch to relax. And you just look at the TV surround and that's dusty and there's stuff and ornaments and half-burnt candles. And you're supposed to be watching the television, but your mind is drifting to the chaos that's surrounding it. And it's just a reminder to us that our work is never done. So true. And, And what research has actually shown as well, funnily enough, is that women are far, far more affected by this than men. Men seem to be able to sit there and it doesn't bother them as much, some men, but for women, it genuinely bothers them it affects their mood it increases their anxiety levels they become ashamed they just feel like a failure um, but it's not easy it's not easy to keep all the balls in the air today with everything that's going on and everyone is busy and life family life is extremely busy um, and there's a lot of pressure on people through social media and everything else to keep up a front and to have this instagrammable home but it's really just not possible without help or without removing a lot of the unnecessary stuff
1: You're so inspiring, Vera. Thank you for joining us this morning.
7: You're very welcome, Gareth. Lovely to chat with you. Thanks so much. And if you want to get in touch, just enjoy your home on Instagram or Facebook, or you can look me up on my website also.
1: That's great. Lovely. Happy New Year to you. Thanks, Vera.
7: Thanks very much. Thank Thank you. you. Take
1: care. Vera Kiohan there from enjoyyourhome.ie. And by the way, that book by Marie Kondo is The Life Changing Magic of tidying up, uh, Marie Kondo is a Japanese woman who took the world by storm. A good few years back now, she trains people to be professional tidying experts. Seeing the scenes of devastation in Palestine on TV each night brings horror to everyone. But for people here in Cork who have family living through the carnage, uh, it must be a living nightmare. One such man is Ahmed Mahdi, whose family live in Gaza. Ahmed, good morning to you.
8: Good morning, Gareth.
1: Um, I, I I can't imagine what it must be like for you to sit and watch the news on the various television uh, channels in the evening. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your family, what brought you to Cork and how they are there?
8: Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Gaza. Uh, I was born and raised there. Um, I came to Cork like last year Um in November 22 um, on a scientific research visa. Um, I work in uh, clinical cancer research uh, in COH and UCC. Um, my family are still in Gaza at the moment, uh, my entire family actually. So uh, uh, the thing is that it's, it's just so devastating at the moment uh, watching all of these uh, news. Um, and just seeing my, my family, my immediate family, like my parents and my siblings and, and, and all of them in Gaza, like bearing this uh, crisis. Um, you know, our house was bombed uh, twice, actually. So uh, my family lost their house and they're now just sheltering in like a far relative place. Um, um, you, you
1: You've also lost... Oh, he, he, Ackman is gone. That's okay. We'll 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 get him back. The, the, he, he, Ackman it, um, has set up a GoFundMe.
8: Yeah, sorry. You're back, with yeah,
1: us. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. So, sorry, the
8: line the line broke up. That's yeah, it, sorry. Okay. These, things, um, these things
1: happen. Sorry, go ahead. You were telling yeah. us about your family. You you have lost a couple of members of the family in the violence, haven't you?
8: um i 've lost my my cousins my first cousins uh who were doctors um, and they like two of them and the entire family of one of them, so twelve members in total they were sheltering inside a hospital it 's a family run hospital it 's called the Maternity H- hospital in gaza so um, uh the tanks surrounded the area. And they were pleading for help for a whole day. Uh, we tried to contact everyone, uh, the international organizations, the ICRC, Red Cross, and everything. We tried to contact everyone just to evacuate them. But that was uh, that was in vain. And like they still bombed the hospital with everyone inside. Um, my cousins were there. And there were also evacuees, uh, pregnant women, children. It's a maternity hospital. There were a lot of people, like more than 100 people were there. Uh, i think like from what what we heard only 30 people managed uh, to uh, to stay alive after the bombing and the rest were still including my family were still under the rubble so we only managed to to bury them uh, 3 weeks after the bombing so uh,
1: and one of your cousins I, one of your cousins entire family lost their lives didn't they
8: yeah. So my two cousins are doctors. They're gynecologists. They work in the hospital. Uh, one of them has had his uh, his own family. Uh, his wife and his six children. Uh, they were in, like with him inside the hospital. They were children, and they were all killed together.
1: the The hospital was surrounded by tanks. Isn't that the case?
8: Yes. Yeah. So like the last thing we heard from them was from. Uh, uh, from the daughter of my cousin, uh, she sent us a text on whatsapp uh, that like the tanks are surrounding the hospital and they um, they shot some art- artillery uh, bombs into the hospital into the second and the third floor uh, but they like no one was no one was injured. so they went to the back of the hospital and just children the in the ground floor. And that was the last text. And she was telling us to let's try to contact the the Red Cross or whatever. Just please, like, evacuate us from here. Uh, and unfortunately, no one, no one, no one could. We did contact the the Red Cross, and the best they told us that we do not operate in that area. It's uh, uh, it's off limits. And they tried to contact the Israelis, but they refused their uh, they refused the request to evacuate anyone.
1: When you say Ahmed that it it's it was off limits for the Red Cross, is that because it was so extremely dangerous? Was it because there were a lot of Israeli Defense Force troops in the area?
8: I don't think there was uh, like any kind of shooting or like. Conflict between the Israelis or anyone in that area. It's a civilian area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was only the Israelis. Um, so sometimes they decide to to approve the uh, the Red Cross's uh, request to, to, to go and evacuate some people. Sometimes they don't. It's uh, it's a matter of uh, how lucky you are. And my family was not lucky. That's the case.
1: Were you able to converse online with them prior to this shocking atrocity? Uh,
8: no. No. Um, so the connections are not the best um sometimes some people who have some e you know uh who are connected which are connected to the Israeli network will manage to have a little bit of internet uh like only briefly some people don't and sometimes don't have coverage at all uh so uh, like they, they, like the connection with they con- contacting them was so difficult we only got one text from um, from my cousin's daughter. Uh, she sent this text to some people on WhatsApp including uh, her uncle which was with my father and that's how we knew and then late at night after midnight uh, we heard on the news that uh, a hospital has been bombed and my father managed to contact uh, one of my cousins who survived the night and he told us what he saw like my, my, like my father and my siblings never saw um, my cousins or, any, or, or anyone, like we didn't know. We just, and they couldn't even bury them like until the truce happened. Like there was like a ceasefire for like uh, seven days. Um, that's where when some neighbors who were in the area managed to go there and just bury them. So we were not able to, to to have any kind of like direct contact. It's just a message that has been sent and we were not able to contact them for like the whole, the whole time.
1: Now your, your family, your direct family, your mom and your dad, and uh, your sister, I believe, and her husband, along with their three children, all under the age of ten, they—they're the people. That's the family you want to bring home to Cork to you, isn't that the case?
8: Uh, well, I don't. Uh, you see, I—I I, I, for the moment, I only want to just to evacuate my family from gaza to anywhere i don't care like i I would rather have them here with me yes but i like it's 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 not my priority at the moment the priority is just to take them off gaza like bring them off gaza not leave gaza and then we can figure we where they can go it's it's not a priority to bring them here to cork or anywhere i can go to them it's fine it's just that i do want them to get to safety and that's the priority for me and i don't care if they come to cork or anywhere
1: what sort of conditions are they living in apart from the obvious dangers
8: no, oh, it's it's horrific. There's bombings everywhere. My family at the moment are in Rafah, which is uh, yeah. like the, the the most southern city in Gaza. It's like to the south, and there's still there's still a lot of bombings at the moment in Rafah and like everywhere. Like the bombings don't stop. You know, there's there's bombings from um from the warplanes and there's artillery shillings like from the from from the tanks and you have even the the war uh, the war boats. You know, like from the shores, they're shooting it goes like three separate places from three different directions so the bombings don't stop and you even have snipers where the israelis are they're shooting people like i've seen videos and i know people have been shot by Israeli snipers so the living conditions are just horrible um like so my family evacuated like 10 days after the war has started uh just minutes after after uh, they evacuated, our 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 house got bombed. They were just still in the area, and my my sister even they got a little bit of injuries from the, from the shattered glass and then evacu- they evacuated to Khan Yunis which is a city to the south they stayed in my aunt's place for uh, about a month and then they were told to evacuate again because that block uh, was told like the, the citizens of that block was to, were told by the israelis to evacuate so they evacuated to Rafah so my family had nothing like they had no blankets they had no mattresses to sleep to, to sleep on like they managed to get some but like they, I mean even for food like you know there's there's they're living in a place where there's like more than 150 people where it's like a, a two or three bedroom flat, you know, where there's like 150 people. Like, can you imagine, like, how ma- the amount of people? So there is like a shortage of food, shortage of drinking water. They can't take a shower because there's no water to take a shower. You have to either go to the sea to uh, manage to like to to, uh, to sh- like to bathe, bathe, bathe yourself in in, in the seawater, and that's it. And uh, drinking water, you have to have rations of t- drinking water, like two cups a day, and that's it. That's what they can manage. And the same thing goes for food.
1: Are your sister's children safe? It's very difficult, I presume, to know because, as you say, the the connections continually break down and they're very, very unreliable. Now, your sister, Haya, has three children, isn't that right?
8: Yeah, she has uh, Judy, Kinsey, and uh, the little one, Karim, is uh, the, uh, the youngest, is like uh, almost three years old. So uh, I actually... The, well, if the question is if they are safe, no, they're not safe. No one is safe in Gaza, and that's that's uh, that's a fact. No one, like at all. Um, um, my sister has been struggling actually with uh, with her kids because they're young; they're they're just too too afraid. Um, um, like I called her like two days ago. I was able to sustain like a call for like a couple of minutes, and uh, when I called her, she was uh, she told me like if you know anyone. In Gaza, like your friend, your friends, or like anyone you know, they have they can sell diapers because I need diapers for my little kid. Um, they like they don't have diapers like for little kids. Like imagine, like if there's there's there are no diapers like in the entirety of Gaza at the moment. Aside from a lot of like life necessities, like you know essential things that you would need aside from food and drink, like there there's nothing and everything has the prices of everything has gone like seven thousand percent. You know like we we used to buy like a i would say like a a crisps like some crisps like it's a luxury to have crisps at the moment used to buy crisps for one shekel that's the currency there and now it's 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 like 27 shekels matter like how how much Mm -hmm. how much like the prices increase like that's just uh, very exploitive Uh, everything has gone up like the prices of, of everything like even blankets you know if you manage to have like to find some blankets to be sold you're very
1: yeah, I, Ahmed, if you can still hear me, I know you, you're setting up, dollars or something. You, you're, you're setting up a GoFundMe in the hope of raising money to help your family flee Gaza um, completely. <laughs> uh, can you give me details on that? Because I'm just, I'm conscious, I'm running out of time here. So, if people want to donate to the GoFundMe, where can they find it?
8: Yeah so um, the, the, the GoFundMe is um, so there there's a link um, if you go to GoFundMe and and type in the in the search bar like help me evacuate uh, my family in Gaza into safety you will actually find like a lot, a lot of people. Uh, Setting GoFundMe for 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 other families, you know. So I'll I'll be very grateful if you can share uh, if you share the link and like mm-hmm. um, on your one of your social media uh, web pages. So the um, the GoFundMe, like the the idea behind it, is is that in order to leave gaza at the moment there are only two ways the first the, the first one is that you will have that you have like if, you, if you're a dual citizen if you have like another passport other than the palestinian passport mm-hmm. then you have to contact your uh embassy uh and then they will manage to contact the israelis and the egyptians to put your name on a list and then uh this list will will be uh shared with the public and if your name is on the list and you can leave the other way is that you can uh pay money uh, exploitively pay money mm. to someone who works in the border on the Egyptian uh, side of the border right. and they will put your name on the list. So that is the only way. And for, for this moment, um, I, I, I think the price of the price was... Uh, Eight thousand U.S. dollars uh, per person, and last I spoke, uh, y- yeah. yeah, yesterday with my with my brother, he told me that the price has risen to eleven thousand. But oh, no. it, like it it goes up, it goes up yeah. and down. It's just very exploitive but and it's the only way I can think of. You yes. know, I'm I'm just so desperate to get my family out.
1: I can understand. I, I'm, I'm going to have to leave it there, but I'm going to come back and give the details after our news bulletin. So thank you so much, and our very best wishes thank and prayers you. with you that. Uh, that you see your family very, very soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Ahmed Madi, there, uh, who lives in Cork City, working as a cancer research uh, scientist at Cork University Hospital.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are.
9: Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods,
1: This is Gareth O'Callaghan here on the Opinion Line, 083 396 96 96. Uh, Just got to say, well done to Con Luxford, who raised €3,100 for penny dinners with his Christmas lights house. Very spectacular, House Con, uh, on Toker Road. He raises the money in memory of his beloved daughter Katrina who tragically passed away Also Mary says I was listening to the show with PJ yesterday and to the gentleman whose groceries were paid for by a member of the Dunn staff when he didn't have enough money I was in Dunn's Ballyvoland during the summer and when I went to pay for my groceries my card wouldn't work and I would no cash a supervisor paid for my goods which were over 70 euro and she also told me I did not need to hurry back with the money unfortunately I do not have her name this was a really good gesture, which I really appreciated. So that was in Duns and Ballyvoland. Thank you for that, Mary. There are some lovely people out there. Let's never forget that. Now, as the cost of living soars, it seems in one area, at least, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Adrian Weckler, tech editor with the Irish Independent, joins me to tell us about a new TV and internet price war. Morning to Adrian.
9: Good morning, Gareth.
1: Now, this is fascinating because you know I I think everyone is trying to get into the whole Irish TV market and now Vodafone has kicked off a price war Mm. isn't that the case?
9: That's right. So most people in Ireland, you have a few choices when you go to, you know, to, for your telly. Most people will either go for Sky or Virgin. That's most of the market in Ireland. Then there's another chunk that will go for maybe Seraview, which is a, a cheaper version, but only really gives you the Irish channels. And then there's another chunk again who will either a satellite dish out their back and to get the free sat channels, the the British channels, and a small chunk, um, which we sometimes talk about, who stick two fingers up at everybody and get a dodgy box, right? But if you're in the legitimate markets, usually Sky and Virgin, and there is a Air also has um, a package there as well. Vodafone now has come in with a with a package and a price that really kind of knocks the. You know, to be Jesus out of a, a, a lot of the others on, on pricing terms, so in general you can for broadband and tv most people now when you buy tv you, it's very hard to get it without broadband the, the providers will generally sell you broadband and tv uh, as a package and hmm. um, vodafone's new package uh, which is for your basic tv so your sky and your bbc and your rt and all that stuff um, uh, plus uh, fiber broadband is it's 65 euro a month okay now that's not Buttons. That's not cheap, cheap, but compared to the others, the others all charge around hundred euro a month. Yeah. Um. So over over a few years, you're going to save, you know, a thousand euro plus. Um. Now, just to be clear, you'll see offers from the likes of Sky and Virgin, fifty quid a month for your broadband and TV, and that's true for the first twelve months. You, you normally what you do is with TV. And TV and broadband, you you go for a twelve month contract. There's not there aren't really any pay there aren't many pay as you go options, um, and they'll give you two for fifty euro a month right for the first twelve months. Mm-hmm. And if you're cute, you can keep skipping from say Sky to Virgin to Air, maybe you know even to Vodafone again, Sky Virgin Air, and back from one to the other, and keep paying no more than fifty quid. But the fact is, hardly anybody actually does that. Because now, then you're talking about a new remote control every time, a new sort of uh, interface, and you know, new stored content, all of that sort of stuff. So, you really have to think about TV and TV and broadband in terms of, you know, a couple of years two, three, four, five years. And the calculations I've done, which we, um, We'll be running actually tomorrow's paper. You're kind of scooping me on this. Um, Shows that uh, you can, if you if you go with this new package, you'll save over a thousand euro over five years. If 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 you're the type who buys your broadband and TV, and then that's you for a few years.
1: But is it a case that Vodafone will eventually just put up the price per month?
9: I'd be surprised if they did because they're they're trying to get into this market. They're trying to grow market share. So as I said, the vast majority of people who pay a monthly bill for their telly pay it either to Sky and Virgin. Sky's by far the biggest, and then it's Virgin after that, um, and then it's kind of a hodgepodge of others. Um, but Vodafone wants to get into that space, and what Vodafone did with broadband. Uh, like a, it has quite a lot of broadband customers now, but the way they did it was by charging a couple of euro less. It was kind of a bit of a Ryanair approach, really. Uh, a couple of euro less every month. And they grew their market share to become the biggest fixed-line broadband, um, I think, uh, outside air. I think they're the biggest or the second biggest now in, in Ireland. And they do it just by knocking a few quid off. So I'd expect that that's what they're going to do with the TV as well.
1: It's amazing, um, what's the competition like at the moment between, say, Sky and Virgin? As you say, the two, the two top brands. Yeah,
9: it's interesting because if if I'm going to choose between Sky or Virgin, there are a couple of factors. Number one, um, am I in a Virgin area? That's that's has always been the big thing because Virgin has always relied on it. Used to be cable, and uh, it's own cable, and it still has a lot of cable. But now it's rolling out fiber. But you couldn't get Virgin unless you were in a quote-unquote, you know, Virgin media area. Um, and so you, if you're not in one of those areas, because it's not all around the country that Virgin is available. Uh, it is generally in the cities. Um, if you're not an area, then you have to go with something else. The other reason you might go with Sky is overall... Sky tends to invest a bit more in the programming. So when you say see something like Game of Thrones or you're watching a Premier League match, the chances are that's on a Sky channel. So it's very good at using the fact that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the, the premium stuff that people want to watch, I'm not talking RT and BBC now, I'm, talking, I'm not, not talking about your basic packages, mm. which is what we're talking about when we talk about saving money. If you're talking about your premium stuff, Sky does it very, very well and like it has an app, for example, for your phone or your tablet or your, your laptop where if, for example, if you subscribe to Sky Sports, you can then watch it outside the house on your phone or your tablet. So it's very good at the tech and it's very good at the interfaces. It sometimes costs a few euros more, but that's why you're paying for it. So it's it's a question of, you know, do you just want the basics um, or do you want something a lot more advanced? Now, to be clear, what I've been talking about with Vodafone, you can get Sky Sports and Sky's movies and all that sort of stuff. But what they do is they make you uh, sign up to a thing called Now TV, which is a a slightly separate thing, and and they'll facilitate it on their Vodafone TV service, but it's not quite as integrated as you'll get on Sky or Virgin. So there are a couple of different factors. I should say there's one drawback to the Vodafone um, TV thing that I've been, the the cheap Vodafone TV thing that I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. You can't record either RTE or BBC on it. Okay? Now, Mm -hmm. on Virgin and Sky... Generally speaking, you you can record all the channels. Uh, so if you miss something, you can you know in the old fashioned way, you can you know you can just uh, red button it or whatever, and it it'll store it on on the hard drive or or whatever on the system you have. With the Vodafone box, they haven't secured the rights to to. Record from RTE or BBC, which means you you're kind of stuck there. So that's a compromise you will make if that's important to you. It used to be important to me for things like Match of the Day. Right. It drove me mad um, when I was trying to, to to watch Match of the Day uh, on BBC. But so it won't be important to some people. It will be to others.
1: Can we talk about the the the, the costs of all the streaming services? Because mm, um, sure. I'm, I'm still a Netflix fan. Um, yep. I still I, lo- I love a lot of this stuff now I'm, one criticism I would have is that they're now producing what I would regard as a lot of rubbish but there are some <laughs> fantastic movies that for well, come example, here can I
9: ask you because yeah. like, I hear that criticism an awful lot yeah. uh, oh you know such and such a story. oh they're, they're producing rubbish now has it ever been enough to make you want to quit your subscription no <laughs> no, no. You See, this is the thing. I interviewed um, the CEO of Netflix a while back, and I put that to him. I said, "Look, so the biggest criticism you get that I hear is that you're not creating good stuff." And he said, "Look, it it depends who you ask. We 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 will make maybe one or two vampire TV series or movies a year, and we know that even if it's not going to win an Oscar, we know that there's a certain uh, you know a quotient of people." Who actually just like vampire stuff, and will subscribe just to see vampire stuff. So there's something about Netflix that you're subscribing to that keeps you on Netflix. Oh,
1: that's I a, think, that's very interesting. Yeah, which would be the but, most but, pop- popular yeah. now? Is is is, is Netflix? My d- way. Yeah.
9: Right. By a so so the streaming options you have you've got Netflix, you've got Amazon Prime Video, you've got Disney Plus, very popular in families because um they've got all of the uh the Marvel stuff, the Avengers, all the superhero stuff, all the cartoons, all the classic movies. Um and then you have others like um uh Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. you've got um Apple TV Plus. I mean there's loads of them. I mean m- like my monthly bill now because I subscribe to all of them because we're in a family here and I think just just for the streaming services, mm-hmm. it's something like sixty euro a month. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just yeah. for the streaming services. Yeah. Which is kind of insane. Um and I'm always and sometimes the smart thing to do there is to cut one out, say for a month, or cut two out, or only have say two of them for a month, you know, and not have three or four of them. Uh, but then you see what happens is some hit series, your friends will all be talking about it. <laughs> and and it's on the one don't platform you, that don't you're not subscribed to. You know? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what right.
1: I mean? Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the future of, of streaming services, mm. are, are we looking at something similar to, to television stations? Are we looking at more and more streaming services coming on
9: online? I think we're probably at For the last few years, what we've seen mainly is a lot of the big studios wanting to replicate what Netflix has done and everybody freaking out that maybe cinema isn't the future. And to be fair, we haven't seen cinema audiences come back in in quite the volume after COVID that they were before COVID because like your average tv size now and even a budget tv is now 55 inches most people now almost everyone has a streaming subscription which means they can watch you know movies and stuff at home Mm. and so that has led to all of these streaming services including a few niche ones which i haven't mentioned like indie stuff like mubu and all that sort and hey you reality tv streaming option um I can't see we'll have too many more mainstream ones. We might have a few niche ones, um, but I can't see we'll have too many uh, more. And Netflix, like, none of them, as far as I can see, actually make profit or make much of a profit. It's a bit like the music streamers, like Spotify. Like, Spotify has barely made a profit in in a decade. And despite, you know, musicians giving out about it, it, it actually doesn't make money. It's just about trying to... Sure up its, its own market share. So I don't think we'll see that many more video, movie, TV streaming. I still think there's something probably more to be done on the sports, because if you want to watch, say, Premier League football, you have to get a full TV subscription. Um, or or you've got to, you you know, subscribe to Now TV and go for the the sports package or whatever. I think we might see more movement there in terms of individual, more catered for sports packages, a bit like they have in the US Mm. with baseball and American football. But for, you know, the big question here in Ireland is, you know, or, like, what's the future for RTE? Like, do we keep paying a TV license to generally access RTE, or does that go for more of a streaming model? The RTE player, it's only okay. You know, it's yeah. quite good when it works, and there's quite a lot of content there, but it can be quite glitchy. So, um, I think we're probably at peak choice for streaming now in terms of the main players. We might see some more niche players in the years to come.
1: Yeah. I find with the RTE player, it freezes. Uh, so you've yeah. got, you've got to start it all over again. Can, just a couple of, a couple of listeners asking in relation to the availability of classic movies. Mm. Say, for example, you go to Netflix, mm. you're looking for a movie from, say, the 1970s, yeah. 1980s, and they say, no, it's only available mm. in the US. Why is that?
9: Well, that's that's to do with uh, copyright and streamers. So, the, what say if you take one of those classic movies? Now, typically, what's going to happen there is one of the studios will have the rights to that classic movie, and you might you might see it in the states on a service like Turner uh, Classics, Turner's TCM, Turner Classic Movies, for example. But they won't have an agreement in place with Netflix or with Amazon or with Disney or one of the others to show it outside. The US. It's kind of weird. If you remember the old days when the DVDs used to be region specific, that infuriating thing. So you'd see, you'd be on holidays in Florida and you'd see a, you know, like Star Wars for like, you know, $5 or something and you'd bring it home and it wouldn't work in your DVD player. It's a little bit like that. It's to do with controlling the rights to the movies. Now, in future, I think that's starting to wane. There's a certain, there's a few, if there are a few services, a few websites you can go to i think watch now is one of the, one of them and then there's another one as well where you can actually pull up the website put in the name of the movie or the TV series you want to watch and it'll tell you according to which country you're in because it'll detect which country and what streaming service it's available on mm-hmm. or whether you're going to have to go and rent it or buy it on the likes of iTunes or you know YouTube or something or whether even that is not available to you so mm-hmm. i use i use those kind of services all the time
1: We've come a long way from Netscape Navigator, haven't we?
9: Oh my God, I remember <laughs> Netscape Navigator. That's You're you going back to the like, mid-90s yeah. there. Uh, yeah, I'd say 90, no, 93, mm.
1: no, 94, 95. Just uh, fr- mm. from, from a, a, a tech editor's point of view, can you describe to listeners who have never heard of Netscape Navigator, what was yep. it?
9: oh god so when you when you you, is that as
1: a maybe it's easier to describe the the, the offside
9: rule no (laughs) no when you switch your laptop on okay and you, you open up your internet your internet that's either going to be Internet Explorer or it's gonna be Chrome or if you've got an Apple MacBook, it's gonna be Safari or, or it might be Firefox. They're called internet browsers. Netscape was the first real mainstream internet browser. So if you had if you were one of the tiny few who had an internet connection in the mid nineties, the the, the actual thing, the program, the thing on your laptop that you double-clicked to open to get onto the Internet was more likely to be Netscape, okay? It was mm. an independent service. Now, Microsoft basically killed it because they copied it and they came up with their own thing called Internet Explorer, and they bundled that free with every PC, every desktop or laptop. And Netscape couldn't compete with it, and it was a whole thing, and there were court cases over it, and that eventually the European Commission ended up coming in and, and telling Microsoft you can't do that anymore. So it was a it was a whole big thing. But Netscape, net that was the glory days. They were that was the early sort of version. If you had a Netscape, if you if you were on Netscape, that was sort of like. You know, having one of the first, even pre Nokia, one of the first Motorola mobile phones. Like, that's the type of vintage you're talking about.
1: And if you learned how to design a website, you became a millionaire, didn't you?
9: Oh, and not only designed the website, but also you could just, uh, you know, come up with any old sort of idea, put a .com on it, and then, like, (laughs) float it, and you'd make, like, $100 million. (laughs)
1: great to chat to Adrian happy new year to you thanks for joining us happy new year Gareth thanks a lot Adrian Weckler, there tech editor with the Irish Independent fascinating Netscape Navigator um Google it if you've never heard of it before. You know, they were happy old times. They were simple days, you know, when we all lived in cardboard boxes and things. And your computer was so big and clunky that it would actually break the table surface that you put it on. Um, And then the old landline, can you stay off the phone downstairs? I'm trying to get onto the internet, you know. Starting life in a new country always causes a bit of chaos, but things settle down eventually if you have the patience. But for John Carney things well they never really settled down he packed up all of his life's belongings in order to move to oslo and that's the last he saw of everything he owns and that was around 15 months ago morning to you john good morning uh thanks for having me on yeah nice to talk to you um so t- from from the time you packed everything i presume you used containers did you
3: Yes, we packed everything up. Um, we didn't have a huge shipment because we sold off a lot of things, but the things that we did ship, you know, was personal things like children's artwork and baby pictures, you know, things like that, sentimental things. Um, and now we're wondering if we'll ever see them again.
1: So w- w- you, they they were traveling by sea, I take it, and they just disappeared,
3: um well, they've had lots of um stories from the company, which we don't know if they're true now. They claim that they hired a company out of the u k that went bust. um there was a shipment that was cancelled, uh, you know, so lots of different things that we're hearing um when the Irish independent ran a story like a year later, back in September. And at that time, they called us and said that they would ship it uh, via the mail and we'd have it in 21 days. And that didn't happen either. So now, you know, we really don't know what's going on because communication has been kind of poor.
1: Okay, and we won't obviously name the company. Now, in relation to the, the items, is is it mainly... Uh, The sentimental stuff, or or, uh, are there expensive items that that you're still waiting
3: on? Yeah, we did have a few family heirlooms, you know, things that you really couldn't put any price on Mm -hmm. because they're antiques. Uh, One of them was like a handmade... Norwegian style chest with a hand carved top, you know. So there are things that are quite expensive, um, but even like our winter clothes, you know, we we left in August and just took what we could bring on the plane we didn't bring winter clothes so last year we just kept thinking those things would come so we didn't replace our, and buy new coats and boots Um, but this year we have had to because it's like 15 below in Oslo right now Uh, and like my wife's kitchen my wife loves to cook so her entire kitchen, her cookbooks you know, things like that um, many many books that we'd collected together over the years uh, my wife is also an artist so things that she had painted uh, and many times when she, they would go on vacation she would paint like a landscape or something from where she had been so stuff like that you know you, you can't replace things like that
1: Now you left Fermoy John 15 months ago for for Oslo why
3: did you leave? Uh, my wife, she is Norwegian. She just kind of got uh, homesick. Wanted mm-hmm. to go back to, back to Norway. Her uh, parents are getting older, and uh, yeah, that's why I guess. Yeah, and
1: uh, you know, judging by winter temperatures there, uh, where you are, it, it well, I suppose it would have been more than helpful to have your winter clothes with you. You got quite ill last November, didn't you?
3: Y- yes, we both got. Uh, very sick i'm not sure if it was like pneumonia but uh, you know we was missed work for a couple of weeks we were very sick yeah and my wife didn't even have a coat you know so she was without a winter coat we were just wearing like sweaters a couple of times she would try to borrow my coat if i wasn't going somewhere (laughs) and it's yeah so
1: So one of you would stay indoors while the other went out (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> we were sharing one coat yes
1: <laughs> and uh, it, it, you're, you're saying now uh, that obviously uh, contact has, has has completely finished between the company involved and yourselves so you've no idea at all where the belongings, where your possessions are have you?
3: No we don't know at this point because they claimed that uh, they have, have shipped it you know they've uh, said that it had left Ireland and used the word, you know, trust me that it's left Ireland. And this was back in uh, September when the Independent story ran. They got all, you know, were calling us again. They actually said we would have it in 21 days. Uh, so we don't, we don't know. Did they really ship it, or and it's lost somewhere, or it was not just another story? We have no way of knowing. Uh, so we don't know where
1: they are. Oh. Uh well look uh, uh, there's not really an end to the story is there. Uh, I I I hope it eventually turns up the container and uh, you might let us know if it does we'll keep our fingers crossed for you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. We can we can give you an update when we, when we hear more. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. Thank you, John. Take care. That's uh, John Carney there and his wife, Hilda, in Oslo, uh, where the temperature this morning is, um, I think, about minus 10 degrees. Now, just to come back to a conversation I was having with Ahmed Mahdi, uh, who is working in a cancer research role as a scientist at Cork University Hospital. Ahmed is from Gaza. And, uh, as if you were listening to us, you'd be able to listen back to it on the podcast. His entire family is still there. Uh, he has lost a couple of cousins as a result of the atrocities and the bombings that are going on there. But, uh, he's hoping to try to get his family, his mother and his father and his sister, uh, her husband and uh, his sister's three children who are 9, 8 and 3 out of Gaza. Now obviously the Rafa crossing is probably the only way they're going to get out of there uh, but it's going to cost a significant amount of money to try to get them to safety and he has set up a GoFundMe page and I promised him that we'd give it a little mention again uh, before we finished just um if you want to make a note of it if you'd like to make a donation The if you go to GoFundMe and the title of the page is Urgent Appeal to evacuate a family in Gaza. Okay, urgent appeal to evacuate a family in Gaza and we'll put that up on Twitter. Uh, a little later this morning. Gareth O'Callaghan, this beautiful Wednesday morning, uh, sun shining around Cork City in Cork County, brisk and cold, but uh, it's lovely to get the sunshine at this time of the year. Now, declining footfall is hurting all bookshops and those that depend on school book sales for revenue have seen a double whammy with the introduction of the free school book scheme. Carmel from Cove School Books is one such retailer. Hello there, Carmel.
10: Hi, Gareth. Thanks for having me on.
1: Nice to have you on. Um, And I know one or two very, very big school bookshops, when I say I mean bookshops that rely on school books, particularly for the the months of the summer and autumn, they've closed because Mm -hmm. of this new free school book scheme. How is it affecting you?
10: Um, well, I suppose the biggest thing is that what people don't realize is when people come in and buy their school books, they're also buying other products, not just from their school book list, mm-hmm. but they'll buy other products from us as well in the store, like um, more learning resources, more arts and crafts stuff, things like that. So to get them in the door with the school books list is a great draw because it just means that you have a captive audience and that captive audience was lost then this summer very dramatically and um, without, without warning really.
1: Mm. And I wouldn't imagine you get too much sympathy from parents, do you?
10: We don't, and we don't look for sympathy. And I must say, as a parent of three children myself, I'm—that's uh, not what I'm looking for. Because the free mm-hmm. book scheme is fantastic, and it's about time it came. I just think the way it was done um, was was done almost like too fast. They were just looking for for kind of points, really, for the, um, the politicians themselves. I feel it was done, you know, as as um, a, a a quick headline when they did the budget, and the thought was only put in afterwards, and it was very very late. It's the same again for the secondary school books up to junior cert. That's going to start in September. We've had no information again on that. And last year it was the week before the Easter holidays when the primary schools heard what the stipulations were, how much they were going to get, what they were to buy, et cetera. And it was a long list. It was a 27-page document that each school was expected to go through. And then they also had to learn about the tendering and procurement process, which in itself is quite a long um, list of items. So, yeah, it was done very, very quickly and with very little thought of how much work was involved and how, what the effect it would have on both the bookshops and the, um, the school's themselves.
1: And has the footfall decline hurt your business?
10: it, it has. Um, now, we've adapted in the last few years because um, we want to make sure that we have kind of money and footfall throughout the year. So we've we've gone into more of the arts and crafts and sensory products and stuff. But definitely the amount of products that we would normally get in um, on a weekly basis here, you couldn't step inside the door for the boxes of, of stationery. Um, and this year, it wasn't like that at all. Like we really only had three busy weeks rather than eight to 10 busy weeks. So um, yeah, yeah, there was... There was a definite
1: difference, yeah. Um, And would it be worth your while to consider expanding into the fiction and non-fiction market?
10: It would be worth my while if I had the space, but um, like most retailers, um, space at a premium and this building has literally reached its capacity at this stage. So we have extended into kind of novels, um, mainstream novels and ones that are on the book list for um, right up to sixth year. So that kind of gives us a, a, another little bit of um, of a draw as well. But it's not something we could do here because um, you, you, you end up with a lot of stock sitting on the shelves that cost money that is very hard to shift. So yeah, yeah, it's not something that we could um, be looking to to replace what we're losing with the book scheme. But as I said, we will adapt and we will we will change what we're selling and increase um, the the variety of products we have. It's just I think the system that the the, the schools have had put upon them um, and us as the the retailers have had to help them with um, was just ill thought out, really.
1: Right, okay, and school uniforms not an option. I take it no. Selling school uniforms?
10: No, it wouldn't. We have two. We have two great shops, um, in Cove Rings, Drapery, and uh, the Keen House, and they've been selling uniforms for, um, about two generations, I'd say now. And they themselves even would find, you know, it's you don't make on things like school books and school uniforms that's not where you're making your money that's just getting your foot fall in. Um so for me to take on that as well again retail space here I wouldn't have it but I wouldn't do it to the other two shops either because that's that's their business um, and that's and that's a whole other uh, argument for another day I think really when we start talking about school uniforms as well
1: yeah and what about stationery and also what about secondhand books you do both of them as well do you
10: so we do we do stationery and included in the book lists, um would be would be quite a bit of stationery everything from pens and pencils, um, sharpeners and razors right up to your very expensive scientific calculators, folders, all that kind of stuff. And that's where we would make our money. That's where you're able to make more than twenty percent on those items. And um, they're they're your big ticket items. And that's like in some of the schools they bought quite a lot of that themselves. But we had to give them massive discounts in order for us to win the tender. We couldn't sell to them at the same price we sell to the to the parents um, and uh, we also then had to you know hand deliver all the stuff to the schools for free and things as well so even though we sold them a lot of pens and pencils and things, we had to sell them at a reduced price which meant your profit again was down. Um, now we had reduced staff this year, we certainly couldn't have had the same level of staff we normally would um, but still even at that you're reducing things down really just to get the tender, um, hoping you'll make some money out of it and that they'll come back to you again next year, you
1: know. And how are you affected by online orders and online sales? Is that eating into the business?
10: Um, you know, we have our own website. We were lucky enough during the... Um the pandemic, when the government gave a grant, we went first, and we have our own website. But again, it's another, it's another job. It's, it's another thing that we have to manage, um, and we try and have most of our products up there. So I couldn't compete with the big companies: Schoolbooks Direct, Schoolbook Study, and Easons, and all these, um, by way of volume. But I certainly do my best um, price-wise, um, and that helps. That helps us here as well because people even use it like a catalogue. They look online at Co Schoolbooks and they'll see what we have, and then they'll come in to buy it especially with the item Items like the sensory items, chewy gem and things like that that we do, they're quite a specialist item. So that's another draw to get people in the door. But again, you need to be selling massive amounts of these yeah. to be paying your, you know, your electricity bills and all the rest of it. But um, but but we do our best, and yeah. So like, I from day one, I would have had the likes of Schoolbooks.ie Sorry, um. Uh, sitting there, you know, but they were they were never going to be something that I was to compete with, um. But they're I think they probably have have felt the pinch as well this year, um. But at the same time, um, as I said, with our own having our own website, um, I'm I'm not too worried about the online stuff really in that sense.
1: Well, happy New Year to you, Carmelie. Hopefully, it's it's a good one, and it's right. lovely to talk to you.
10: Yeah, we'll do our best. Thanks for having me on, Garrett. Take Thank care. Thank you
1: very much. Thank you. That's Carmela Regan there from Cove School Books. Please support your local uh bookshops, particularly high street bookshops, because they're also going through a bit of a tough time at the moment. Juno Flynn, who runs Phillips Bookshop, very popular bookshop in Mallow, believes a voucher system would have made the scheme fairer after the free book scheme impacted her store's earnings massively. Uh, She said that after the free book scheme was launched, she's since had to half her staff with employees, herself included, twiddling their thumbs at times due to a sharp drop in football. So please look in and buy a book or even some stationery, you know, any of those little items that you need for school. Um, Any support is great support. Now, um, I don't don't know how you look... When you look back and you think of your 20s, was it... the, the the best decade of your life, or was it perhaps the most influential decade when you look back? Now, maybe you're still in there, uh, but when I I think back, it was certainly from a career point of view uh, in my own life, probably one of the most exciting decades, because um, it's when I started doing this, and I'm still doing it 120 years later, but there's a book out at the moment <laughs> okay, maybe maybe about 80 or 90, uh, The Deciding Decade, Why Your Twenties Matter and How to Make the Most of Them and it's by an American psychologist Meg J, really, really good book even just to kind of have a reflection and look back on what you did in those 10 years and uh, it's just been reissued for today's 20-something it's an old book, but it's well worth it's quite an old book, in fact. And Meg J tells this generation how they need to focus on their life goals... This decade is the most important time of their lives, she says. The human brain is at its most exciting stage of development between 20 and 30. (laughs) Which doesn't say much for the rest of us. But it can learn and absorb more in this decade than it usually will ever after. Personality changing faster, developing more richly. Most of the consequential life decisions you make will have been made by the age of 35 so think seriously about your aspirations while you were in that golden decade. I'm not quite sure what happens after 35, but uh, I'm still making kind of fairly consequential life decisions, I think, at this stage. Anyway, that's... um that's a book if you're interested it's available it's been reissued it goes back a long 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 way she's very very famous psychologist Meg Jay and uh, the deciding decade why your 20s matter and how to make the most of them now uh, also I I read today uh, in the examiner um, that Ireland is the loneliest country in the EU oh gosh this is according to a recent report in the face of such a concerning analysis we must do all we can to foster Vibrant communities and tackle this increasingly common feeling of isolation. And this is according to Ivan Cooper in yesterday's Examiner, in fact. Um, and th- th- it's it's interesting because. Uh, A lot of the emphasis is on volunteering, a powerful force in the fight against loneliness uh, and well worth worth looking into, maybe with your local men's shed, call services, befriending networks, family resource centres. They're all there and it's well worth it. Now, we all love to hear about a random act of kindness. Diana Walsh is so grateful for the help her son received after a nasty accident this week. Hi, Diana.
11: Hello, how are you?
1: Very well, thank you. Uh, very relieved, Diana, I would imagine.
11: Oh, yes. I got an office right and I got a phone call from a strange school on Monday morning.
1: Yeah. T- tell us the story. Um, you're in Middleton, aren't you?
11: I'm in Cloyne. Okay. My son is going to school in the secondary school in Middleton. He's in Leaving Cert.
1: So, what What happened?
11: So I got a phone call at 10 to 9 to say, um, this is the CBS primary school and we have your son here, Daniel, who's out having an awful bad fall on the ice from the footpath and he's an awful gashy bleeding with blood everywhere. You need to come in and get him as soon as you can. We have a caretaker here who's actually first aid trained and he's cleaning him up and sorting him out. I said, that's great. I have a younger child and drop him to school. I'll be straight in as I as soon as I can. I was shaking. I didn't know what was after happening to him and what way he was going to be. And I got in there, but he was able to walk out. He was covered in blood. And the caretaker was absolutely amazing. He was after stitching up the wounds so well. I didn't think it was that bad. It's only when he got to our own doctor and he opened up, we got an awful fight. You could fit two euro inside the gash. It was so bad. Wow. It took 10 stitches and bleeding mad and everything. Yeah, so we got an awful fight. But he was so good. Like, he turned around and said to the doctor... Is this going to hurt a little bit? He never had stitches in his life. And he goes, no, well, really, no, it'll be fine. Doctor was stitching turns around and he goes, "So, how was your Christmas anyway, doctor? Like nothing. I say he was still in shock, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: fair play. I don't know whether it's an age thing, but stitching does hurt.
11: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he's feeling it now today. Oh, his I eyes so, swollen yeah. and then it's his really watery red eyes and his shoulders obviously sore as well. He didn't feel it on the day but since mm. yesterday showed Jay's because he's like six foot, he would have hit, felt it when he felt the girl's like
1: Whoa, so. that's, that's a long way down.
11: Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we got an awful fight, but I can't praise the principal. She was out trying to protect all the children of the, the three schools, so you have the convent, the CBS secondary, CBS primary, and the principal of the CBS primary was trying to mind all the children on the footpaths, trying to block the footpaths that were so bad, trying to get them into school safely. He wasn't the only one who but he was the one everyone was talking about because it was blood everywhere, and, you know, he's an awful nasty cut. But um, the caretaker then as well. So I don't know if I can mention our names or oh, not. But yes, but
1: please do. I'm, um, they deserve to be mentioned, absolutely.
11: Yeah. Neve O'Leary is the principal and Dennis O'Leary is the caretaker. I actually looked it up on the website what his name was. Right. And he's actually a physio for the Hada team as well. So he's amazing. So actually I'm planning gifts to bring in to say thanks very much because only for them I don't know what would happen to him. His own school didn't find out Well, I rang the secretary. But the principal didn't find out till maybe 20 to 2 yeah. and rang me that day going, we were told with another student, not one of our own, they were apologising, whatever, but um, they've been very good ringing every day, checking the CZR right and everything. So, um,
1: What, what part of his head did he hit, Diana?
11: Just above his simple. Oh, so he was very lucky. Oh,
1: wow.
4: Yeah.
11: Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, he was very lucky. But I just, I'll never forget the, the class just coming off thinking, it's, it's bad, but it's not that bad, but i never forget it. You oh, could yeah. see right in there, like, there was such a pocket.
1: God, that's so close to a, a place in the head that yeah. could have been so much worse. Yeah. So much worse. Yeah. And he didn't, yeah. he didn't require hospital or anything like that, no?
11: No, the doctor said just to keep an eye on him, so he didn't vomit. He didn't yeah. have seizures or nothing, but I'm still keeping an eye on him at home. Mike, go back to school tomorrow because we have leave are coming, as you know. Yeah. The so pre's are a couple of weeks away, so um, we'll see how he goes. But he's going to get his stitches out on Monday.
1: Right. And how many stitches again? Ten. Ten, wow. Yeah. yeah. Substantial bang there. Yeah. Yeah, we're
11: just lucky our doctor's amazing now he's very good Sean McCarthy and Billy Cotton I have to mention him as well Absolutely, he was amazing yeah. he was up the balls, busy and it was emergency and he got him in straight away to sort him out yeah. brilliant so. what's, what's the doctor's name again? Doctor Sean McCarthy, Billy
1: Cotton. Okay, Diana, thanks so much. Delighted, he's okay and he's on the mend, and yeah. uh, he's he's probably he's probably enjoying his time off school, is he? <laughs> he's, he
11: will. He's, he's still on Google classroom. He has to do his right. <laughs> Yeah. Once he's up to, it, he has to go in and do it. Just you know, with the priest coming, they're important. You know, so yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. some headache yeah, for a couple should, of days there.
11: Yes, yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah, for a while. Great <laughs> Thank to talk you to very me. much for bringing me, though. Thank thanks, you. Thanks,
1: Diana. Thank you, Diana thanks. Walsh, there from Klein. And uh, thanks to uh, all the team at Middleton, CBS Primary School and Sean McCarthy, the doctor as well. Uh, Everybody in the exactly right place at the right time, that's for sure. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the pleasant sunshine. We've got it for another few days. Today's show edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thanks to Wayne on the desk. PJ is back tomorrow morning at nine.